Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fangor coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. I'm just focusing around here. I have four guitar picks on my desk. It's kind of like my, my good luck charm and one of them is missing. <laughs> doesn't mean I can't do the show. It just means that one of my guitar picks is missing. I'll find it. It's right here somewhere. I mean, they can only get so far, right? So I don't know why I have four guitar picks on my uh, desk, but I do. It's just it's, everybody has their superstitions and quirks. Uh, that's mine. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting today uh, is that I have two lottery tickets here that I haven't even checked yet. So I could be a billionaire and not even know it. Uh, I don't know if anybody won the the, the, the billion-dollar one. I've got a billion-dollar ticket um, potential. <laughs> no, I don't have the real one yet. I, I, don't, I might. I don't know. Uh, and I've got um, uh, – what else? Have I, I've got the other one, the $145 million. So we'll see. I mean, that's just uh, – that's just. I can't find a guitar pick. This is a wow. I mean, I'm rearranging my, my stuff on my desk right now. Okay, I'm going to move this over here. This way. Things are kind of casual today. Uh, after a day like yesterday. So what happens is that I get really – uh, excited and, and I, I do a lot of prep. I mean, I really do a lot of prep uh, for an interview, you know, like the one I had with Christina and Bobby yesterday. So she was on 20 minutes, so I probably put 20 hours into it. <laughs> you know, going over stuff, reading stuff, deciding exactly what I want to put in, what I don't want to put in. You know, what can I do in 20 minutes? What can I do in 30 minutes, 40 minutes? You know, you kind of divide everything up. So, so you cover all the contingencies just in case. So it looks easy, but, you know, a lot of work went into it. And so it was a fabulous interview. Um, you can go back and listen to it yesterday. It's very easy to find. She's in the title, you know, of the show, Christina Bob. You know, and I sort of joked around about uh, getting, uh, taking all our bills to uh, President Trump. I mean, I joke, but that's really what I want. <laughs> you know, I mean, I say it kind of sarcastically, but the truth is that if we're ever going to really uh, get this show on the road, so to speak, uh, it's going to have to have something really big happen, and that would be having Trump on the show, connecting with the Trump campaign. Uh, doing any one of a, of a number of really amazing things um, so that we can, um, you know, get ourselves out there in ways that have never, never been done before uh, by any show. Um, I had another interesting thought, too, as, as, as my, as, you know, I say, I, I keep saying I'm just a messenger. God puts all this stuff in my head, and I, it's kind of like my job to get it out to, to all of you. But uh, this idea popped into my head um, before the show, and I was thinking, I was, I was doing a little research on, on Matt Gates, my congressman, because I'm hearing stories and I'm hearing little news clips, and you know, as I say, I'm, pre- I'm prepping the show and I'm getting little uh, bits and pieces of information from uh, the news I'm watching. So it's usually One America News or Newsmax. I, I guess there are other news shows out there, maybe Sky News or you know, I don't know. So, but those, that's what those are the ones that spend that I, that spend take up most of my time. And, and so and I'm getting this stuff about uh, Matt Gates wants to defund the USAID, the US. Um, yeah, it was uh, something for international development because uh, they're they're doing a bunch of woke commie stuff. Uh, so that's no good. Don't need them. I would defund most of the State Department, quite frankly, except for embassies and consulates, necessary things that are being done. Uh, consulates are there for like passports for American, you know, services to Americans overseas. Uh, embassies are there for spying. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's what they're there for. So we need the spying. And that's CIA. And of course, we need the Marines to protect them and the CIA to do the spying. So that's what embassies are for. Everybody has embassies in their country so they can spy. You know, everybody knows that that's what's going on. It's this big joke. You remember that? There's a James Bond um, show. Uh, I forgot which one it was from Russia or to Russia, no, from Russia with love. And you had this, this really hot Russian babe 
uh, probably one of the five that are in Russia. I'm teasing, teasing, Russia, Putin, did you hear what this man says? He's only five gorgeous women in Russia. What does he know? Okay, fine. Anyway, so I'll probably get back to uh, Putin, who I'm sure listens to the show regularly. Um, but the, anyway, so, uh, and of course, it's, you know, British and, you know, it's in the 60s when they made it. It's the second of the, of the great Bond films. And so you had uh, all kinds of stereotypes and, you know, you had the commies and the, the good guys and the, the bad guys. And uh, it's centered in, I think, um, the Balkans. So it's Yugoslavia kind of sort of. This is before they'd broken up into Croatia, Serbia, Bosnia, Bosnia Herzegovina. Uh, Slovenia. Who else may have Yugoslavia? Anybody else in there? I, you know, uh, Macedonia. <laughs> I think I've got all the Donias. <laughs> but anyway, um, but uh, it was about a, um, a guy that started off as a circus performer uh, who became head of security and ran something for his government. And then the Spectre moves in. And so the Russians spy on the Americans, the Americans find the Russians, everybody spies on each other, everything's fine, <laughs> you know, it's a nice little cooperative arrangement, life is good, the deep state continues, and everything's okay, until Spectre moves in and starts actually killing people, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, we're, we're spies, we're not supposed to kill each other, what's going on here? Anyway, so, so Spectre causes a bunch of stuff, um, but uh, that was basically, uh, but the thrust of it was hysterical, we spy on them, they spy on us, we go to lunch together, everybody's fine, we know the story, we know how the game works, and that's pretty much how Washington works, it, it's a great metaphor for Washington. You know, uh, Democrats go to lunch with the Republicans. Republicans go to lunch with the Democrats. You know, Mitch McConnell and, and Joe Biden are great friends, even though they're both deep state, you know, anti-American traitors, you know, who, uh, who value their prestige and power more than they value the Constitution. In fact, they value their prestige and power more than they value anything, probably even their own families. No, Biden's different. No, Biden does, does feed his family well with, uh, you know, money that he takes, you know, extorting his, uh, his power and accessibility and things like that. So that's how, that, that's how the, the, the Biden mafia crime, crime family works. And they're, you know, sitting in the White House uh, running the country illegally. So that's what's going on. Anyway, so, but it's just funny that all these things that are understood, you know, uh, and it's kind of crazy. Anyway, so getting back to uh, Christina Bob, so then, so Trump comes along, totally upsets the apple cart, right? He's, wait a minute, you're, you're supposed to leave us alone. You're supposed to, you're not supposed to do anything. You're supposed to, uh, you know, be in the White House and just, you know, make uh, pontificating useless statements and, you know, let us do our thing. We'll, we'll run the government. Just sit there in the White House for four years and shut the hell up, right? That's what they think. Well, it didn't quite work out that way. So now they, they're going to try and force Trump to shut the hell up, but uh, he's coming back. And one of the folks that's going to help a lot um, besides us here at Action Radio uh, is Christina and some other folks and Matt Gates and, and different people like that. Anyway, so what happened with Matt that was interesting was I'm reading and I'm looking at some articles. You know, he wants to defund the USAID. He wants to defund the FBI, the DEA. He's got some other places he wants to defund. And I'm thinking, why don't you just defund the whole Department of Justice, except for uh, I think it's a, the only useful division I, I can think of, although I'm going to check their organizational chart once again before I write the bill, uh, is the Civil Rights Division. So I want to keep, the, keep that make that a separate office, make that a separate department, Department of Civil Rights. And uh, I want to add a couple of categories to their list of uh, – you know, race, sex, um, you know, other classifications, national origin, you know, ethnicity, things like that, uh, religion. I'm going to add in ideology and gun ownership because I believe those should be perceptive classes because gun owners have gone after, are persecuted just for being gun owners. And it's an equal opportunity thing. It doesn't matter whether you're a black gun owner or a white gun owner, you know, male or female gun owner, old or young gun owner, they don't care. <laughs> the left doesn't want guns except for themselves and for criminals. I mean, so, so the gun control is about controlling the guns so that they go to the criminals and the government gets all the guns they want. That's why they have 287,000 armed bureaucrats, which is a larger force than the Marines. 
which is kind of interesting when you think about it. Anyway, so so that's their status quo, but not mine. And so I'll get to Christina in a second. I'm kind of rambling this morning. I've got an hour to ramble. I've got an hour. Of, uh, I've got a 45 minute fun uh, interview in the second hour, and I've got um, CJ. We're going to talk wellness in the third hour and see what's on her mind. Anyway, um, so so back to to Gates. So he's he's doing this stuff here and there. And he's like, you know, I want, I want to just get rid of the whole DOJ. You don't need them. You need the Attorney General. I would keep the Attorney General's office to prosecute government criminals. That's what they're supposed to be for, because there are very few federal crimes. There's only three. Uh, treason, piracy, and counterfeiting. We've, we've been over this before. So you don't need the attorney general for any of those, really. Um, Congress handles treason. Uh, U.S. Marshals can arrest the traitors, so that's, that's how that's done. Um, the um, Secret Service, you know, put them back in the Treasury. They handle counterfeiting. And piracy is done by all kinds of different folks, you know, local police for, for, for truck jacking, state police. Uh, and for the big things, air piracy and, and uh, you know piracy on the high seas, you got the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, the national, the Air National Guards, and uh, the Coast Guard. So we got a lot of places to handle these crimes, uh, none of which have to do with the Department of Justice. So there's no need for the Department of Justice. The FBI, the ATF, the DEA, you know, all those big agencies uh, are doing crimes that are not authorized uh, by the Constitution. So they have no justification to exist. So I, I would just get rid of them. You know, the only thing you might do is, is keep the FBI crime lab as a resource, you know, to the states. And the states want to fund it, uh, but they can make an independent crime lab and do exactly the same thing. So, so uh, make that a separate in- entity, too. So the FBI crime lab, with all the DNA, the fingerprints, you know, the resource made available to state and local law enforcement, yeah, I can see keeping that. That'd be good. Uh, civil rights division should be a separate division, but it should also, you know, we need to change the law so that includes uh, ideology as a civil right and gun ownership. And so, and the only other one would be the attorney general, uh, whose purpose would be to prosecute real crimes within the government, you know, under, under the direction of the president, unless you make the attorney general an elected position, which is another option. You make the attorney general elected and you stagger the terms. So the attorney general is elected during the midterms, you know, the, you know, halfway between the presidential terms. That would be an interesting possibility too. So there's a lot of things we can do, but when I was thinking of Gates, I'm thinking, you know, I've met the guy. You know, I just talked to him a month ago. He's not on the show. He used to be on the show every week, you know, before hair gel. <laughs> I, I say that joking, but look, look at the older pictures of him when he, when he, he looked younger. Um, but then, and then he started to, I don't know, he had like a makeover <laughs> and he started doing big national shows and, uh, yeah, he looks fine, I, but I have to make fun of him just because, right? Anyway, so uh, will I do it if he comes on the show? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. It depends how brave I feel that day. But I'm thinking he's going to do something in media after Congress. Uh, that's pretty obvious. He just hosted uh, one of the shows, I think, who was on vacation? Was it Rob Schmidt on vacation? So he did like a week of Rob Schmidt on Newsmax. So every news, you know, every big media knows him. Fox News knows him, although he probably won't be back there. Newsmax, um, I don't think he's been on One American News much, but uh, you know. Anyway, so he's, so he's definitely headed for media, I think, after Congress. So the question is, should I ask him to work with us here at Action Radio? Uh, that would be a huge challenge because if he goes to Newsmax, then Chris Reddy's going to tell him what to do. Uh, if he goes to One American News, he'll have a lot more freedom, but uh, the Herring family is going to tell him, you know, they're going to restrict him. Come to Action Radio. We're pretty open here. <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell, tell him to uh, be interesting. I'm going to tell him to be creative. I say, what, what can you, you, you know everybody, you know, including the Trumps. You know, let's, uh, let's, let's really make Action Radio something. Let's create an entirely new kind of media, something he couldn't do on uh, Newsmax or One American News or any other network except this one. This is the only place because we're the only creative network that it has an entirely new genre. In other words, uh, citizen action, where not only do we talk about things, we actually do them. 
And so I, I speaking of doing, I forwarded uh, after the interview yesterday uh, to Christina Bob our, our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Uh, I got some more bills, too, but I'm, I'm trying to get Peter Navarro back on the show um, because I'd like to talk to him about that because he does economics. Christina Bob doesn't do economics. She does legal. We do everything here. I, I do all the subjects because I kind of have to. It's, I'm the host. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of stuck with all these different areas I have to know about. But uh, if we can get Peter Navarro back on and we can talk about that amendment, uh, our citizenship bill. Uh, apparently, I, I just heard like over $600 million a year uh, goes out of this country to other countries, you know, through all the illegal aliens that are here. You know, maybe even the immigrants that are here, too, but certainly the illegal aliens. That's, their, that's why they come here, not only for a better life, but a better life for, for everybody back home, too. Uh, and so in other words, they come here to steal our money and send it out of the country. And, and you think this is, a, you know, you liberals think this is a good idea. You, you're trying for votes and they're, they're bankrupting our country. $600 million is a lot of money. You know, and, and there are some countries that uh, it's like, I think Nicaragua has 30% of their budget now is money sent out of the United States to Nicaragua. That's insane. So we're funding communists. Great, great, great plan there, guys. Um, so part of our, our citizenship declaration bill, which puts your citizenship on your driver's license, is that it mandates that uh, there are certain things you can and can't do um, if you're not a citizen. One of the things you can't do unless you're a citizen is send money out of the country or even receive money into the country. So in other words, only citizens can send money out of the country. Well, how many citizens are going to send money out of the country? Some? Sure. I don't care. You know, $600 million worth? I don't think so. Or maybe it's $600 billion. Was it $600 billion? I don't know. Whatever it is, it's a lot of money. Uh, and, of course, the question, if it's a billion dollars, it's approaching the defense budget. <laughs> that would be huge. If it's $600 million, that's still a lot of money, but let's check it out. Let's, let's, in fact, let's investigate. There's a big difference between a million and a billion. So let's, let's do something kind of creative here. Let's do a little, little bit of research and see. Uh, illegal sending out illegal. Remitting. The term is remitting. 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 Let's go. Dollar sign. Oh, that's a dollar sign. Six hundred million a year. And we'll see if it's million or billion. Makes a big difference. Uh, it is six hundred million. Okay. Analysis from Breitbart. New Yorkers pay at least six hundred million dollars for illegal immigration. The U.S. Map from the Independent Budget Office finds that arrival of nearly 24,000 border crossers and illegal aliens to New York City. Oh, this is New York. New York City pays. <laughs> oh, that's how much they're paying out for them. That's not how much they're sending out of the country. All right, so you know, that's the cost. Cash is illegal. Ooh, Venmo and PayPal will now share your transactions with the IRS. Oh, that's, that's special. All right. Uh, remitting $600 million a year out of the country. Let's put that in. Out of the country. But out of the U.S. Let's well, see what comes up. Do, 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 do. Live radio. I'm researching on the air. Here we go. Uh, let's see how much they're actually sending out. Large money transfers. Six cash payments. Illegals. Oh, Biden's giving $800 million in cash payments to illegals. Oh, that's special. Uh, I, I figure I don't know how much it is, so I can't confirm millions or billions. Let's put billion in. <laughs> See if that's, uh, that changes my search. Oh, here we go. The United States loses $150 billion annually in remittances. Foreign-born workers are sending roughly $150 billion each year in remittances to friends, family members, and associates outside the United States. 
That's huge. Well, there we go. <laughs> Let's just pop that up on the board. And that's from FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. And that's as of 2019. So it's probably like 500, it's probably 600 billion today. Point being, a lot of money is sent to other country. And what that means is that uh, we're losing. Uh, all right, we're having a cash drain. And so the government's printing money like crazy, uh, and they're sending it out of the country. Now, one would think that that would actually have an effect on inflation. For some reason, it doesn't, because I guess those dollars are spent ba- being spent back here. I'm not sure how it works. It's economics, you know, I've got an undergrad degree in it, but it's still confusing. All right, so back to the <laughs> where we started this whole thing. Um, should Matt Gates join Action Radio uh, after Congress? And I'm curious. In fact, I'm going to put that in uh, in live chat. Let's see if anybody wants to respond. You don't have to call the show. Just just type in your, just get a free account, you know, register at the bottom of the page. You know, should Gates, G-A-E-T-Z, join Action Radio after Congress. Now, you can only respond during the live show. <laughs> Because uh, live chat goes away after the live show, but you can always email uh, me at greg at writeyourlaws.com, or you can always get a hold of me uh, on Facebook. Now, Facebook, uh, I'll get to Christina Bob in a minute. Facebook has something else really interesting. Now, today, I, I want to do a lighter show, and I want to have some fun. Something like, we're going to do this fun. So I'm looking through my old WEBY classic uh, interviews, and I came across the Steel Tempest. Now, the Steel Tempest are a group of students. Uh, I guess they're all probably in college now and have been for a few years. This interview was done back in 2017, so that's six years ago. So they're probably, they're probably, probably all college graduates by now. Anyway, at the time, they were juniors and seniors at Pensacola Christian Academy, which is a private high school uh, in uh, Pensacola, Florida, near, next to where I am in Milton, Florida. Uh, so that's where we we're on the Gulf Coast. And so I had them on, but we actually had them in the studio. And they brought, they, they build robots to kill each other. <laughs> this, is, this is what the team does, right? So they, they were just about to go to a, a convention or a competition, excuse me, uh, in Houston, Texas. And I found this interview and I started playing it. And they kept talking about this video that they made at the same time as we were making the, the, uh, the live show on the air. And so I thought, wait, wouldn't it be good? I wish I could see that video. So then I went to there. This, I, I thought, well, let's just put Steel Tempest on Facebook and see what happens, right? So then I, I do that. And then the old Facebook page shows up, and there's my friends from six years ago. I was like, whoa, this is great. You know? And so I'm looking at this, and so I post the video to my Facebook page. Um, I'm going to post this show, obviously, um, but we're going to play that uh, interview in the second hour because we had a bunch of kids and their parents in the studio at WBY. This is why it's such a great place. I mean, you can see why I got fired, right? I mean, all these horrible things I was doing there. Uh, so we brought the kids in. We brought the robots in. The, the kids knew how to work them. The parents didn't. <laughs> It was great. And then they went off to competition. So I got to find them again. I got to talk to, uh, I have a contact still. Uh, I'm one of Facebook friends with one of the moms. And so I want to get a hold of her and see if we can uh, get the kids back on the air, have them call in from, you know, wherever they are. Oh, yeah, I'm working at uh, NASA right now, working on robotics or the uh, the Institute for Human and Machine Cognition. The, the, it was the H I H M C. This is an organization in Pensacola. It's a company, actually. Company in Pensacola that merges robots and humans. You know, it's not like well, they're probably using artificial intelligence. But what they do is take people that have you know all kinds of incredible disabilities. Um, if I got a friend of mine who was uh, both blind and deaf, and I was trying to get uh, them to work with her, she's not in the state, so that's that's one of the problems. But uh, good friend of mine. Anyway, um, communicating was interesting. Uh, email works, but uh, in person, uh, she had this Braille uh, device, and so. She spoke perfect English, and she could talk, but she couldn't hear anything, and she couldn't see me. Um, so uh, it was all based on impression. And I had this Braille typewriter thing. So I would type 
you know, messages to her and this machine would pop up the braille code, you know, raise the dots. Right. And so she's like, stop typing so fast. I'm getting blisters. <laughs> I mean, it was hysterical. Right. So, so this is, so you just imagine two of us at a park bench, right. And, and one person's yelling who can't see or hear. And the other person who can see and hear is typing. <laughs> this, is, this is our friendship, right. Right. We're, we're great. I, I owe her an email anyway. Um, but uh, that's the kind of thing that these folks, I tried to get her involved and it didn't quite work out uh, with the Institute for Human and Machine Cognition. Uh, again, they're in Pensacola, great group. I think I've got the name, but who knows? Uh, Pensacola Christian Academy, I'm pretty sure I've got that right too, but you know, nobody's perfect. Um, so all these wonderful things are happening here in uh, the Gulf Coast area. And, and so it's, it's pretty amazing living here. This is why you know, I'm, I'm here. Okay, I'm not moving. Uh, I'm, I'm going to travel the world, but I'm not leaving. Uh, I like it here. And so that's what that makes it pretty special. Anyway, so we brought these kids in. They brought their robots in. They brought their parents in. You know, I had my producer who was a total goof, uh, A-Dog, the world's greatest producer. Uh, I've been in radio about a month and a half at this point. So this was mid, this is, uh, what is it? Um, it was mid-April and I started March 1st. So about six, I've got about six weeks of radio experience. And here I am with robots in my studio. <laughs> It, it, it was, it's a fabulous interview. I'll play it for you later. Um, but uh, that's, that's the kind of stuff we used to do uh, at WBY. I, I did a show with drones. I told you the show where I had a drone flying around the studio, looking me right in the face while I'm on the air. So it's like me, the microphone, and the drone. We're all kind of staring at each other like some kind of uh, bizarre, you know, wacko thing. But uh, that's the future. I love toys. I do. You know, so I just want to start flying again uh, and uh, as soon as uh, the show starts to, uh, you know, grow. Which brings us back to Christina Bob. And so the reason, um, the reason for me that I had her on, besides the fact that she's really interesting and I love having her on the show, she's fun to talk to. She's brilliant. Uh, and, but also she's Trump's you know, lawyer and we're trying to get connected with the Trump campaign. And I make no secrets of this. I, you know, I'm always honest with people. I really am. I find it, it gets you further. Uh, it's the right thing to do, which is more important. But, it, you know, if, if people know where you stand and they trust you, then I think that especially in politics, you know, we have no hidden agenda. I just tell her openly, said, look, I love having you on the show, but I also want to get connected with it. And I even said on the air, so I want to get connected with the Trump campaign. You know, we've got bills that we'd like to get there and we'd like to have them used in the campaign, particularly um, our constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And again, that's not her specialty. She's a legal person. She's a lawyer, uh, basically a defense attorney. And from her bio, you know, the things that she handled specifically were um, court martials and administrative separation. In other words, people leaving the service, particularly the Marine Corps. So one of the reasons I, I wanted to have her on was I wanted to introduce her to Catherine Arnett, who's my friend, who has been, uh, they tried to court-martial her twice for refusing the COVID shot, which the military cannot require, by the way. Uh, this federal law that uh, they can't require of anybody. So those mandates were always illegal, always, always, always. But people don't quote the law, so they don't know it. So I'm, I'm going to see if I can find that law right now. I, I usually have it pretty prominently uh, displayed on my um uh on my on my on my desktop here let me see if i've got it i got stuff i want to move i don't want to i don't cancel the show while i'm moving stuff because <laughs> that would be a problem that would not be a good thing so I'll leave that there where did i put my oh there's the four components of mass psychosis that's a prominent thing too my Substack articles. What else have I got my desktop here? My desktop is an amazing place. <laughs> a lot of fun things here. Vaccine timeline. Ah, oh, here we go. Accept or refuse the vaccine. All right. So I knew I had it here somewhere pretty close by. So um, this, is, uh, this is the law. That's, you know, and I'll tell you right from what I, I just have this post here all the time. It says, this is the law that says you have the right to take or refuse a non-approved emergency use authorization vaccine. 
And I said, y'all need to be reminded. This means no company can require it. They know it, so just keep up the resistance. Well, it also means that the military and the government can't require it either. So here's the law. All right, y'all get your pens and pencils. You know, yeah, just uh, in fact, listen to the podcast. Look it up for yourself. 21 U.S. Code, Section 360BBB-3, Authorization for Medical Products. Let me say that again. 21 U.S. Code, Section 360BBB-3-3, Authorization for Medical Products. Subheading E, little e, subheading 1, subheading A, capital A, subheading, you know, two little I's. And so you go from <laughs> then to the three big I's. Um, let me just read the whole thing. Otherwise, it won't make sense. 21 U.S. Code, Section 360, BBB-3, Authorization for Medical Products. E, Condition of Authorization. 1, Unapproved Product. A, Required Conditions. I, I, appropriate conditions designed to ensure that individuals to whom the product is administered are informed, here's the big part, three, three big lies, of the option to accept, here are the big words, you ready? Accept or refuse administration of the product, of the consequences of any of refusing administration of the product and of the alternatives to the product that are available and of their benefits and risks. And those alternatives would be hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin as far as COVID goes. Not only those are alternatives, they work. <laughs> okay, so 21 U.S. Code Section 360 BBB-3, Authorization for Medical products, Conditions of Authorization, Unapproved Product, Required Conditions, Appropriate Conditions Designed to Ensure that Individuals to Whom the Product is Administered are Informed of the Option to Accept or Refuse Administration of the Product of the Consequences, if any, of Refusing Administration of the Product and of the Alternatives to the Product that are available and of their benefits and risks. That's federal law. Okay, it's right there, federal law. Federal law. So when the government says, says you have to get a mandate, you say, no, wait a minute, I've got uh, 21 U.S. Code Section 360 BBB, blah, blah, All those things, right? So you don't have to get it. <laughs> you don't. It's right there. Well, I'm sorry, that doesn't apply. We're making a mandate. This is a public health emergency. Well, so what? I don't care what you call it. First of all, you can't quarantine healthy people or require them to do anything. Secondly, the Constitution's always in force. That's what that hearing was about by uh, Congressman uh, Winstrup, uh, who I tried to reach, uh, his office. Uh, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. You know, uh, they say, are you a constituent? No, I'm in Florida. You know, he's in Ohio. Okay, thanks for calling. <laughs> okay, you're going to call me sooner or later. You know, day's going to come when you're going to want to be on the show, and I'll just remember how you treated me when I wasn't famous. You know, in fact, I remember how everybody treats me when I'm not famous because sooner or later it's going to come back to all of them. But that's how it goes. All right, anyway. So that's the law. So we had uh, Catherine Arnett on who's facing another trial, jail. I'm not sure what the current situation is. Listen to the show yesterday. She'll tell you. And things are changing regularly. So we had Christina Bob, Trump's attorney. We had Catherine Arnett, uh, who, is, uh, who wants to serve in the Marines. They keep trying to kick her out. In fact, I think they have kicked her out. Um, and all she, all she did was comply with the law. So they actually kicked her out for complying with the law, whereas the rest of the Marines were not complying with the law, and they're still there. Interesting, huh? That's like the, the coup is in the White House for breaking the law. Trump is, is outside the White House and is being charged with breaking the law for actually upholding the law because he won. Strange world we live in. So the other person that was on with um, Christina Bob was Jonathan Mosley. Jonathan's our legal reporter. And so I brought him on uh, so that he could talk about January 6th. 
And so hopefully Christina or the Trump campaign will get back to both of these people. Uh, and we'll see what happens with that. But uh, John, Jonathan's great. And so he's defending January 6th people along with Roger Roots. I'm hoping to get uh, Trump directly involved because these are political prisoners. All right. Uh, I, I talked about my idea and, you know, whether it was joke or real about uh, Trump and the J6 folks applying for uh, political asylum. Uh, it's not something that's actually going to happen, but it's a great talking point because it shows how absurd the situation is where the coup you know, is prosecuting people for trying to get rid of the coup, you know, and they're making political prisoners of anybody who says they're a coup, even though they're a coup. I'm surprised I haven't been arrested yet. Is, is that the FBI outside my door? No, not yet. Okay, fine. Anyway, maybe it's the garbage truck. <laughs> Same thing. Um, so, <laughs> FBI, KGB, I know you're listening, so I uh, hope, you're, hope you're having a, a good chuckle over your coffee and donuts there. Don't eat too many donuts, by the way, guys. You know, if you're going to keep up, then uh, and we want you around a long time. In fact, we want to turn you into actually really good, you know, agents of, uh, of the federal government serving the people as opposed to, you know, enforcing the coup, which is what you're doing now. Uh, and so we're going to hopefully change the FBI KGB into either something real or just get rid of them. Um, we need to remove that department. Well, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards it. I think it's too late. I think we better just start, uh, just bring everything back to the states. All right, so I'm kind of rambling a little bit here. Anyway, um, so those are the two guests. The, the, the news that she broke, the news that Christina Bob broke that was really fascinating to me um, was on the 2024 election. So her book, 2020, you know, uh, Stealing Your Vote, uh, and what that means for 2024, very prescient. And so she told us, says, yeah, I can't believe I wrote this and all this stuff's happening right now. Uh, I have to go back and check because she didn't elaborate on exactly what was happening now. I was kind of hoping she would, but we only had 20 minutes. So I'll go back and check that out. But I asked her, I said, uh, can you guys secure the 2024 election? She says, yeah, we got it. Now we got that. Sorry. <laughs> like, okay, good. <laughs> so, you know, she's pretty confident Trump's going to be back in, which was interesting news. Um, the most interesting to me was when we started talking about Robert Francis Kennedy. And I'm not sure exactly how I think she brought him up. And I said, look, this is, uh, you know, these are the two non-deep state candidates. Uh, and I said, and I asked her, um, do you see a place for, for Robert Kennedy possibly in a Trump administration? And I said, I was thinking he'd be great at health and human services, you know, cleaning up the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, you know, where, where Dr. Fascist was and all those folks. She says, yeah, well, I'm thinking, you know, she says, and she was talking for herself, not for President Trump. Uh, she made that really clear. So I'm talking to speak for, my, for myself. She says, my dream is that he runs the CIA. I'm thinking, oh, wouldn't that be interesting? She says, yeah. Um, she says, it would be great for him to find out who killed his father and his uncle. Because we're pretty positive the CIA killed both of them. And probably Martin Luther King, too. So the CIA is another thing we have to get rid of and get a real spy agency, you know, decent spies. They're actually American working for America, not working for their own little kingdom. And that's the biggest problem with these agencies. They become kingdoms. They become their own little, I don't know, just, um, I guess kingdom is probably the best word for it, a little monarchy. And they don't care about anybody else. They don't care, you know, you're in the agency or you're not. You're, you're one of us you're, or you're the enemy. And so they consider the rest of the federal government the enemy, the American people the enemy, me the enemy, and we're the enemy. Because we want to take away their power, but all we want them to do is do what the, what the Constitution requires which is what they're supposed to do. They don't care about that anymore, and that's the problem. So did the CIA kill Robert Kennedy and uh, John Kennedy? Don't know. Probably. But wouldn't it be interesting if Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, could run the CIA and find out? And if they didn't tell him, just start firing people. Sooner or later, he'll get to someone who will tell him. And that's where it gets really interesting. <laughs> so anyway, that's what we talked about. Um, but uh, the, other, the last idea, I'm going to take a little break here in a second. The last idea, and this is probably, I think, 
the, the one that might work out. I said, uh, well, what about uh, President Trump in this debate with what I'm now calling the, the globalist goober candidates, the goober Republicans, you know, the GOP goober class. <laughs> you know, those are all the ones that are globalists, globalist goobers. And so Jonathan Mosley says, I haven't heard that term in years. I said, well, yeah, I'm old. You know, I bring back old term. Curmudgeon's a great term I'll, I'll use. Or uh, uh, there's, oh, I, I'll think about this term that uh, Clint Eastwood used in uh, Gran Torino. Uh, not Jabberwocky, but it was one of those other um, terms. Cockamamie. That's what the word was. Cockamamie. This is a cockamamie idea. You don't hear that very often. Anyway, so we're going we're gonna to call the, the globalist goober class of uh, Republican candidates for office. You got Trump. You know, America first, mega, make America great again. And you got the globals goobers. <laughs> so, so, so should Trump you know, participate in the goober debate? Well, I said, no. Why, why should he stand there and be beat up with a bunch of people when he can do something positive? Well, I had to think, well, what might be positive? So before the show yesterday, I came up with the idea that Trump and Robert Francis Kennedy should sit down, uh, have a discussion, you know, probably on One American News, you know, because that'd be the best. That's my favorite uh, network. And besides, I know people there like Christina Bob, who reports there still um, on occasion. And, and I thought, wouldn't it be fabulous during the, the Goober debate on Fox, which nobody's going to watch anyway, uh, except to see Trump, you know, there and if he's going to beat up on the other ones. Beating up on the Goobers is, is not, I think, the best strategy. I think ignoring them is. So these people, let them beat themselves up. They're, they're, they're non-candidates. They don't count. They're so far behind the polls. There's no reason for him to be there at all. And Mosey is the contention he should fight and just, you know, wipe the floor with them. I'm like, why waste your time? Why not, just, why not get above that? So I don't have to debate these people. They're nothing. They're not going to win. American people don't want them. They represent the donor globalist deep state class. So they're, they're, they're not even real Republicans. That's, that, and that's what, he, that's what he could be saying by being there, right? So if he debates, well, not debates, if he discusses, if he had a really serious heart-to-heart discussion uh, with Robert Francis Kennedy one-on-one, just the two of them, just let them talk to each other. Uh, on camera, just roll the cameras. Just let them talk. Let them discuss the issues. And they're going to have differences. You know, Robert Kennedy is a Democrat. As Christina Bob said, the last real Democrat. So you got Robert Francis Kennedy, a real Democrat. He's a liberal. He believes in liberal things. But that includes free speech. That includes love of country. That includes not having the CIA go around the world and start wars and assassinate people, especially his family. And Trump believes in the same things. Trump loves America. So does Robert Kennedy. They both do. Now, they have different ways of, of, of fixing it. Trump's more likely to have a private solution. He's good at it, too, like bringing in jobs and investment and things like that. Uh, Robert Kennedy's more likely to have a government solution. But they both want solutions, okay, as opposed to the donor class and the, uh, the goobers and the globalists who just want power. They want to destroy America and have us fit into the world order. Okay, that's, that's uh, unconstitutional, illegal. We don't need those people. So think of this. So think of, of Robert Kennedy and um, Donald Trump just sitting down for, for a heart-to-heart chat, talking about the differences, talking about the differences in a civil way, talking as adults, talking about, because uh, they're both brilliant, you know, foreign policy, wars that we shouldn't have been in. Uh, they both agree on that, you know, getting rid of the military-industrial complex, you know, fixing the economy. Um, it would be a fascinating debate. It would change everything because all of a sudden they would become the focus, and they can still run against each other. No problem with that. Uh, but there, but the, the competition would not be a personality challenge of insults and, you know, dirt and the usual stuff. It would be a contest of who has the better ideas. And I asked Christina, I said, can you see um, Robert Francis Kennedy in a Trump administration? She's like, sure. Oh, I think I said that already. Yeah. So she wants him to see, I, I want him in health and human services. He could do, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy either way. But I think he would be an incredible asset to 
as vice president because they don't have that much power unless you're Joe Biden and you're just there to make money. Um, but running one of the departments, CIA, well, he could be like the, the uh, what's it, the DIA, Director of Intelligence Agencies, DIA. That'd be a good place for him. Uh, I don't know where Trump would have him. Uh, and then, of course, I'm hoping he runs in 2028. And I don't care who the Republicans are running because I don't think they're going to have anybody like Trump uh, who isn't a deep state uh, goober. Democrats are definitely going to have goobers, globalist goobers. You know, so now we've got the gelding old party. I'm really having fun with names. You've got the gelding old party, right? And you've got the, uh, the goober class, you know, the globalist goobers. And so I don't want GOP goobers, uh, you know, running for president. I don't want the Republicans selecting Republican goobers and telling me this is the only, these are the only people I get to choose from. That's one of the problems with parties. We get nobody to choose from. These horrible candidates. You look at them, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis. Uh, who else is running? You know, uh, uh, was Asa Hutchinson? I think he's out. Uh, Vivek Obama Swamy, who only has one patent to his name with a bunch of other people. It's a traffic visualization thing. It's a GPS thing, which is kind of interesting because he's a biotech guy. He has no experience in uh, electrical engineering that I can see. So what's he doing with the GPS patent? Unless they just had to put him on something. It's the only thing I'd find from. So how did the guy make $600 million when he has no patents, no inventions, no products, nothing to his name? I just find that interesting. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, what's, what's the deal with uh, Obama Swami? He is the next, you know, young minority, you know, male, articulate, um, cliche-ridden uh, deep state operative who's there to sabotage the Trump administration. I told Christine about that, too. Off the air. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, big warning. Beware Obama Swami. Whew, I think that sums up yesterday. So uh, big question continues. Should Matt Gates join Action Radio after he gets out of Congress? I'm going to ask him. You know, I'll be an email, phone call, something. I don't know. I'll call his office. And say, hey, after Matt gets out of Congress, do you think he can come work with us? <laughs> that should be funny. Well, what do you people think? I mean, where else can he be as creative as he could with Action Radio? Who else could benefit us more and, and make us, you know, world? worldwide, you know, with his contacts. And we got Nigel Farage in England. We'll get him with Action Radio, too. You know, we get all these folks. Get somebody in Taiwan. You know, get somebody in Australia, someone in Taiwan, um, someone in Japan. Um, actually, I'll, I'll talk to Catherine about that. She was stationed in Japan. You know, so we're going to have worldwide. This is going to be a worldwide network. It's going to be huge. Absolutely huge. Bigger than Fox. Yeah, you heard it here first. Action Radio is going to be bigger than Fox at their heyday. Because we are going to write legislation, and we're going to change everything. It's going to be fun. So uh, you were there at the beginning, and uh, let's, uh, but the beginning is taking too long. Uh, it's time for us to expand into massive, worldwide, multi-million listenership uh, and start to make some changes around here. All right, let me, it's now 7.38. And what you're doing, 7.38. Actually, I've got to put this 8, 10, 23, 7, 38. Probably 39 by the time I play this. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, let's take a break. Uh, talk to you all on the other side, and then I'll have my interview uh, from WEBY with the Steel Tempest Robotics team. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. 
call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. 
It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. Oops, got caught. <laughs> I was fussing around. I found my green guitar pick, so at least I have all four on my desk now. I know that sounds silly to you, but it's one of those little quirks I have. So let me play the one more thing I was going to play, and then we'll get back um, back to the show. Wait a minute. Uh, here we go. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Okay, I'm back organized now. Let's get, uh, let's get to an article and get to some news. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Mild cough. All right. So back on the air. Um, something happened a few days ago, a really interesting article, and I didn't get a chance to uh, cover it. Things are going on. Generally, I have an interview as, as uh, uh, strong and critical as, as Christina Bob. I tend to do a lot of prep for that, and a lot of other things kind of go by the wayside um, until I get a chance to catch up. And since this is not a show where we're ever the first with a story, um, I think with the best analysis of the story, it's more important to let things kind of sit for a little bit and then be able to comment on them. That's, that's what I do a lot of times. So this is why, you know, people send me stories. Oh, you can be the first to report this. And it's like, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't care about being the first to report something. Generally, the first reports are wrong anyway. Uh, and that's not why I do it. You know, my job is to take the stories and then make something out of them to look for the patterns, to look for the, the, the analysis, to look for uh, things that I can see for insights and to decide whether we need corrective action. There's a lot of things that need corrective action. One of them is, is defunding uh, and getting, we're just abolishing most of the Department of Justice. Um, another one we have is, uh, is, a, is a compliance bill, which I'll be writing, so that uh, we talked about yesterday with uh, Christina Bob that the, Trump has spent some 40 to $50 million you know, complying with all these ridiculous charges. And so part of the reason they do that is to cost you money. And they, they don't even have to convict you to, to win. And so I'm going to write a bill that says they pay all their compliance costs up front to anybody they're investigating. So if they want to investigate Trump and they're going to spend $50 million investigating Trump, they have to give Trump $50 million. Government does you know, in compliance costs. In, in other words, if he has to comply with uh, anything they're investigating or he has to look stuff up or do paperwork or hire lawyers, whatever he has to do, you know, he gets the same amount of money that they're spending to investigate him. I think that's going to be a really interesting bill. I'm going to work on that one. All right. So one of my favorite folks, Colonel Doug McGregor, he's been on the show a couple of times. Um, he's harder to get now because he's, you know, big and popular and busy. And this is why I get people before they're famous. <laughs> Gregory Wrightstone, perfect example. Gregory Wrightstone three years ago uh, had plenty of time for the show. Now he runs the CO2 coalition. He can't get him. He's busy. Okay. He's a famous author. Now he's got, you know, a, 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 a not Pulitzer, excuse me, but he's got a, a best-selling book 
inconvenient uh, facts, you know, things that get away of, of Al Gore's inconvenient truths. Um, so it's, he tells the truth about the climate, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, anyway, one of them, yeah, I think his book is Inconvenient Facts. Anyway, look up Gregory Wrights Don't, CO2 Coalition, that'll tell you. So McGregor, uh, August 1st, so this is, eh, what, nine days old? <laughs> he has an article here in Foreign Affairs, and he says, Make peace, you fools. America's proxy war with Russia transformed Ukraine into a graveyard. So he's one of the few voices of sanity out there saying, stop this nonsense. And I've said the same thing, too, ever since this is, you know, I did a little tribute to Peter Pry the other day because he told us, Peter Pry, Dr. Pry, said, look, there's no reason for this war. Don't uh, have uh, Ukraine and NATO. You know, don't push this. Just leave it alone. Um, Stay out of it. And uh, Russia and Ukraine and Eastern Europe will figure it out themselves. No, we couldn't do that because the military industrial complex wants money. They want the U.S. taxpayer to pay them, you know, trillions of dollars for having another multi-decade war. That's how it works. That's the model, right? From, uh, from Korea to Vietnam to uh, Iraq to Afghanistan to Ukraine. We always have to be a war somewhere because, you know, the rich folks need more money, right? McGregor says, incrementalism, the tendency to inch forward rather than to take bold steps, is usually preferred by political and military leaders in warfare because the introduction of a few forces into action puts fewer personnel at risk and, in theory, promises a series of improvements over time, often through attrition. Do you know what attrition is? That's where you lose people. <laughs> you lose people and you lose stuff. All right? Normally, it would be, attrition would be in an organization. As people leave, you don't hire new people. Attrition, people naturally leave. Well, more time, they die. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about people being killed. So, so the, the major factor in war is who can lose more people. That was, World War I was a war of attrition. Millions of people died for no reason whatsoever, none. Uh, and yet they did because the generals said, well, let's just send another wave of, of bodies, you know, against the barbed wire machine guns and see if we'll win this time. Oh, oh bad day. Lost 10,000 soldiers. Listed again tomorrow. I mean, that was their mentality. These people were insane because they didn't care. They didn't value human life except for their own and their rich class. You know, there was a class. World War I was a class war. World War II was a little different. Uh, it was still a war, uh, but it was fought much, much differently than uh, World War I, which was Truly insane. Um, all right. Anyway, so he says, uh, in 1950, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, led by then Chairman uh, General J. Lawton Collins, not heard, um, never heard that name, recommended short envelopments along the Korean coastline that were designed to gradually increase the size of the U.S. and allied enclave known as the Pusan Perimeter. That's P-U-S-A-N. The idea was to buy time to assemble enough forces to launch a breakout on the Normandy model. That would be D-Day, <laughs> the invasion of Normandy, World War II, right? He says, but General of the Army Douglas MacArthur disagreed. Well, that's MacArthur. He argued for a daring, deep envelopment that promised to cut off the North Korean forces south of the 38th parallel that were encircling Pusan. I guess that's, uh, was that, uh, is that a city north or South Korea? I'm not really sure at this point. Anyway, not to look at a map. See what the, the 38th parallel is, is, is a 38th degree of latitude. That's what that is, in case you guys are wondering. He said, McGregor says, as it turned out, MacArthur was right. Today we know that the short envelopments were exactly what the North Korean command was prepared to defeat. In retrospect, it is certain that along with Chinese allies, uh, what a surprise, right? The North Koreans were familiar with the operational em uh, employment of U.S. and Allied forces during World War II. Eisenhower's insistence on a broad front strategy that moved millions of troops in multiple armies in parallel across France and Germany to Central Europe uh, conformed to the low-risk formula. Yeah, see, uh, just a little sideline here. Speaking of war, I mean, there, there are so many different ways to win wars that aren't being done. 
you know, the, the old toe-to-toe battle. Uh, the, the British, uh, back in our, our War for Independence, you know, would line up in a straight line and, and shoot their brown best muskets, which were not particularly accurate, uh, at a line of American soldiers who were lined up, you know, 25 yards from them. It was stupid. They'd line up and shoot each other. That's how gentlemen conducted war, according to the officers and the, uh, you know, and everybody else. And, of course, you know, Americans being inventive said, this is kind of a stupid way to wage war. If I was a commanding general, the first thing I'd say is lie down. <laughs> shoot from the line. Let them stand up. Shoot them standing up, you know, or better still, don't be there. If they're all lined up in line, leave, walk away, just just run away and have the cavalry come in with swords, you know, or do something. Have the artillery just take them out. <laughs> you know, I mean, war has to be fought strategically. As Sun Tzu said, you win the battle um, long before you get to the battlefield. And so the idea, the, the best idea in World War II was the Admiral King plan. You guys don't know about that because MacArthur is the big hero. Well, MacArthur killed thousands and thousands and thousands of, of Marines in particular for no reason. Island hopping. Do we have to hop island to island? No, we didn't. What we could have done was use, built up the Navy much more and aircraft carriers much more and sunk every supply ship that Japan sent out. If you sink all the supply ships, you destroy the ability of the army to fight. What, what are they going to do? Throw things? Throw rocks? You know. And so you arm the people of the Philippines and of all these different islands uh, with all kinds of, of decent guns. He's, okay, you got these against the Japanese. And, um, and that's how you do it. And if you cut off the supply, if you bomb industrial Japan, see, I don't believe in a nuclear bomb either. I uh, thought so that was a total waste of, of, of humanity. It, it was stupid. There's no reason for it. We already defeated Japan. Well, what's this unconditional surrender? What, are you going to humiliate them too? You already beat them. They had no industry. They had no military. They had no navy. They had no army. The war was over. And yet we had to drop bombs? Oh, please, give me a break. Anyway, so if we used the Admiral King plan in World War II, uh, we would have uh, drawn a line in the middle of the Pacific and cut off all the Japanese forces, you know, from uh, the, the Solomons, uh, the, the, you know, Iwo Jima, all those places south. Well, if you cut off the supply line, that military down there would only be around for so long. Yeah, they still have arms, but as soon as they – but armies run on supply. Same thing with navies. If you sink all the fuel ships, the oilers, the, uh, the ammo ships, all the things that uh, – uh, the Navy, uh, the Japanese Navy would need, you know, destroyers are fast, battleships are, are thick, but supply ships are easily sunk. They're, they're cargo ships. You know, ask the German U-boat captains. They sunk a ton of ships that were designed to, destined for England in World War II. They almost starved England, simply sinking the cargo ships. Well, we could have done the same thing in the Pacific, right? Nobody talks about it, but that was Admiral King's plan. It's just cut off their supply. You cut off the, the Japan from, from their armed forces in the south, and that's it. Or later, the, the army's going to run out of bullets, and they're going to be in really bad shape. You know, at that point, they're going to either surrender or die, you know, depending on what the situation was. But you still, you didn't have to invade the Japanese homeland. You didn't have to go for unconditional surrender. You basically take out their, their military, their industrial, uh, their army, the navy, and the war is over. <laughs> okay? Besides, I think FDR, you know, let, uh, let it fly that uh, he knew, I think he knew about Pearl Harbor. I think that was designed for the Japanese to bomb to get us in the war. I'll never be convinced otherwise. Anyway, so uh, this is what, uh, what um, General, Colonel McGregor is saying. It should be General McGregor. But what Colonel McGregor is saying about Eisenhower, that he moved millions of troops in multiple armies in parallel. You know, there's a straight line across France and Germany to Central Europe, conform to low-risk formula. Well, you don't win by low risk. You, know, you win by patent going in and you know, killing large numbers of people. Uh, you actually end up saving lives because you kill so many lives so quickly um, that the war is over so fast rather than a prolonged you know, battle that kills farm lives multiple times more. Anyway, 
McGregor says, in light of this history, it is reasonable for the North Koreans to believe that MacArthur would never split his forces and launch an amphibious assault far behind North Korean lines. It was simply too risky. And the operational concept for Incheon was also inconsistent with the way U.S. forces were employed during the Civil War and World War I. Wars won through attrition, not maneuver. Okay, so remember, explain the difference on that. So this is where MacArthur was right. He was wrong going into the Philippines. Dead wrong. Completely wrong. There's no reason for that. He did that out of ego because he said, I shall return. Okay, well, why don't you return with uh, the Japanese Navy, uh, you know, in shambles? Then you can return. But don't return when they're still there armed and they still have their supply ships. That was stupid. Cost a lot of lives. But in, in Incheon, he was right. So Incheon, the Incheon landing is a famous uh, part of the Korean War. For those that, that study war as I do, uh, I don't want to fight in one, but I, I, think, I find the study of them fascinating. I find the fighting of them totally wasteful. No reason for most of the wars to go on in the world. But since they have, it's fascinating to look at why. So there's two ways to, to win a war, attrition or maneuver. Maneuver is when you outflank, outstrategize, outwit uh, your enemy, and even with inferior, in other words, fewer forces, you can beat them. You know, the Battle of Britain was won uh, over a larger German air force in World War II uh, by Spitfires and Hurricanes, mostly Hurricanes, um, with radar. <laughs> we had, we, they had good radar. They knew where the Germans were. They knew their altitude. They knew their speed. They knew the number of airplanes. They just vectored them in out of the sun uh, and shot them down. And the British pilots, when they were shot down, hopefully uh, they lived. Um, those that lived could go back into another Spitfire hurricane and go back and fly again, sometimes the same date. I wonder who was shot down the most. I bet you there were pilots who were shot down two or three times in a day, grabbed another airplane, said, oh, let's go. <laughs> that's, that's courage, right? Um, but anyway, but that's how you win. So that's maneuver. Radar plus superior fighters plus altitude plus, uh, you know, tactics and bravery. And they won. They won the Battle of Britain. That's why, that's why Britain wasn't invaded, okay? But they didn't have the numbers. They were about one-third. So one-third British fighters to two-thirds. But the, the German Air Force was like uh, two or three times larger than the British Air Force. And yet the British won. How was that? Maneuver. I don't mean airplane maneuvers. I mean maneuvering. They're just better, better strategy. Or attrition. So in other words, everybody's losing, and the side that can afford to lose more wins. So if one side can – say World War I. You've got a battle of, of the Somme or Verdun. Those battles cost a, a million men. So who could lose more men, France or Germany? Or, or let's say Germany, uh, France, or England. So France and England combined, and later us. You know, and uh, Germany lost a million men. We lost a million men. You know, so that's attrition. Did anything happen? No, the front stayed where it was. The trenches didn't move. Totally insane. So all this happened not that far from where Marco uh, lives in the Netherlands because you had the line running between France and Germany. That's where the war took place. Here we go. Uh, Marco says, was that on your show that the British, I believe, saw the Japan forces approach Pearl Harbor but did nothing because they wanted the USA to be involved with the war? Okay. That's an interesting question. Okay, so Marco says, this is back to uh, Pearl Harbor. He says, was that on your show that the British, I believe, saw uh, the Japanese forces approaching Pearl Harbor but did nothing? No, I don't think that's, that's what happened. I don't think they were there. Uh, they may have reported it. But here's what I think happened. That uh, we had radar. We had radar at Pearl Harbor. Uh, the Japanese uh, invasion force was seen on radar. It was reported to some stupid lieutenant who said, don't worry about it. And those, that's a quote, you know, because there was a flight of B-17s coming in. But B-17s coming in from California would be approaching from the uh, east. <laughs> they would not be approaching from the northwest. Okay. So any, a whole, why would they fly around to the northwest line in Hawaii? They're coming from the east straight in. We weren't at war yet. Right. So that is a sense. So this huge number of, of uh, airplanes 
coming in way more than the flight of uh, B-17s coming in. So, but maybe that was by design. Maybe he was told to ignore it. Uh, stop that right here. Misinformation. <laughs> you know. But uh, the British wanted the United States in the war. Churchill desperately wanted uh, Roosevelt and the United States in World War II, with good reason. He needed our help to stop uh, Nazi Germany from taking over England. I understand that. I think he was acting in his interest. No problem with that. Should we have done it in World War II? We kind of had to because we screwed up going into World War I. If we hadn't gotten into World War I and all those countries had stalemated and they're all in an equally bad position recovering, you know, if they wanted to fight World War II, they could have done that too. But we didn't have to be involved in it. No reason to. All we needed to do was stop the U-boats, you know, in the Atlantic. That we could have done. We had a big Navy, you know. Same thing with Japan. Um, I don't know. A China? Probably. Stop Japan from invading Australia? They're allies, yeah. We've definitely been in the Pacific. Would we have taken the war back to Japan and, and uh, nuke them? Didn't have to. So there's all kinds of questions. But I don't know if the British knew. The British might have had spies knew. Now, there's a good question. Marco, maybe you can research this for me. Uh, research whether the British in World War II had spies in the Pacific or in Japan that knew Japan was going to attack Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. That would be new knowledge for me. I don't know that. So let's find that out. See, the places we go in this show is just amazing. You never know where we're going to get to. I'll, I'll, uh, Mark, I'll check it a little bit. Take your time because I, I want to do more of the article and I'll go back. The, unfortunately, when I read an article, it covers up the live chat. That's why there's a little delay sometimes, you know, when we get into live chat. Okay, so there's attrition versus maneuver. Attrition sucks. Anybody that fights by attrition uh, should be shot. Any general that fights by – I'm serious. Any general – or any military officer that fights by attrition should be just either drummed out of the surface, uh, thrown in jail, or in the case of World War I, just shoot them. Because <laughs> they killed millions of people for no reason at all. None. Except their own ego and arrogance. Uh, that kind of ego and arrogance deserves a death penalty. You kill a million people by ordering them to, to do bayonet charges against machine guns and barbed wire, you should be shot. Okay, that's just, anyway. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that often either. Back to the article. Uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor in the American Conservative said in February 2022, Russian President Vladimir Putin opted for incrementalism in his approach to the special military operation in Ukraine. <clears throat> Let me try that in English. <laughs> Putin opted for incrementalism. In other words, build up slowly, right, in his approach to the special military operation. That's what they call it. That's what they call the war in Ukraine. They call it the special military operation, right? Putin committed fewer than 100,000 Russian troops to a shallow penetration attack on a broad front into a country the size of Texas. Okay, for those who don't know, I've driven across Texas. Well, those, Texas is big, for those who don't know. Um, it took me, what, three days to drive across it? <laughs> and that's at highway speed? And that's just one state, three days to drive across Texas. So of the, of the five days that it took me to cross from California to Florida, three of those days were in Texas. That's how big it is. <laughs> Texas is huge, right? Then he, then he says, having failed over a period of nearly 15 years to persuade Washington and the collective West of Moscow's opposition to NATO's advance to the East, Putin seems to have concluded that Washington and its NATO allies would prefer immediate negotiations to a destructive regional war with unknowable potential for escalation to the nuclear level. So in other words, let me tr translate you know, uh, Dr. McGregor's uh, language in English. So Moscow thought that if um, they, they could use persuasion, that the West, in other words, us, NATO, would keep pushing to get more and more countries in NATO, closer and closer to Russia. That's what he thought, right? Soviet Union has collapsed. You know, the Warsaw Pact is gone. There's no reason to have NATO expand any further. What's going on here? Putin's very logical. 
You know, they keep saying he's a criminal and dangerous and all kinds. Of, I find him very logical. I, you know, other than attack other countries, and he hasn't attacked that many. Uh, you know, compare Putin's record to our record in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, and other places we've gone. Vietnam, Korea, you know, how many places Russia attacked? I don't know. You know, um, what, Kazakhstan, the Chechens, things like that. Uh, and Ukraine, they took the Crimea, which was Russian territory originally anyway. So, you know, it's a, if Putin's so evil, name some of the evil things he's done. Well, he's KGB. He's definitely, I'm sure he's had people killed, lots of them. Uh, let's compare that to how many people Brandon's had killed. You know, how many people has Dr. Dr. Fascist killed? Brandon and Dr. Fascist killed a million Americans. You know, with, with the, the COVID remdesivir ventilator death march. You want to talk about a war criminal? Those two are war criminals. Has Putin killed a million? I don't know. Probably not even close to what uh, Brandon and uh, Dr. Fascist have done. So if you want to talk about death, let's, let's put it in perspective. Anyway, so that's what uh, McGregor says about that. Then he says Putin was wrong. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, he says he made a false assumption based on rational choice theory. Yeah, Putin looks uh, Putin's a rational you know, he may be a, a dictator. He may be uh, do, do various things, you know, that are what he thinks are in Russia's or his best interest. But he's very rational. His choice is very logical. He's very restrained, uh, very organized, very disciplined. Maybe that's KGB training. I don't know. But it's, it's fascinating to look at this. Anyway, McGregor says rational choice theory attempts to predict human behavior based on the assumption that individuals habitually make choices in economics, politics and daily life that align with their personal best interest. And that actually makes sense. That, that would be rational. It's rational to act in your best interest. Now, the, the DA globalists and all those other folks, are not, they may be sort of acting in their interest, but they're, they're self-destructive. They would destroy the world to try and, get the, the, try and get power that they can never have. Well, that's not acting in your interest. That's being irrational. So the globalists are, are irrational, trying to destroy freedom so that they can rule everybody, something they can never do. Nobody gets to rule the world. That's, that's, that's part of the... Uh, you know, that's part of the safeguard for, for the rest of us. Anyway, so he says Putin was wrong. Then he says the problem with the theory is that human beings are not rational. Well, <laughs> that's interesting. Didn't they just say something like that? Uh, he says, in fact, the human mind is like a black box. It is possible to observe what goes into the black box and decisions that come out of it. But the actual decision-making process that unfolds inside the black box is opaque. That's, uh, you can't see it for those of us uh, you know, scattered around the world. Anyway, he says, uh, in international relations and war, the defining feature of human identity, history, geography, culture, religion, language, race, or ethnicity must also figure prominently in any strategic assessment. For reasons of culture, experience, and innate character, MacArthur was a risk taker. Yeah, and, and generally when you have a risk taker, there's just two options. It's a good risk or a bad risk. Uh, Inchon was a good risk. We could have ended the Korean War right there. Um, Philippines was a bad risk. Well, that's the problem with risks. You know, you either it's like action radio. Action radio is going to be a glorious, glorious success or a total failure. Well, actually, I don't intend on letting it be a total failure, but you know what I mean. But those are those are the possibilities. You know, when you go into something like this, you know, something that nobody's ever done, uh, a kind of radio that no one's ever thought of, uh, or at least not tried. You know, it's a risk. But uh, I love risk. I love taking a chance because the rewards. Are fabulous and without uh, risk uh, there is no reward without risk you cannot gain without trying without uh, putting yourself out there it just doesn't work that way anyway so he says uh, let's see I'll get back to MacArthur was a risk taker as Peter Drucker reminds his readers culture is the foundation for human capital these realities routinely defeat the unrealistic expectations that rational choice theory creates some of us people aren't rational look at uh, again the globalists you know, trying to achieve something that's impossible. Transgender, 
trying to uh, change your chromosomes. It's impossible. And yet people are willing to mutilate the bodies and take all kinds of drugs in an attempt to do something that we all know is impossible. That to me is irrational. And yet they're still doing it. Okay. Murder carries the death penalty. You can be executed for killing people. People are still killing people and murdering them. Okay. That's an irrational choice, knowing that you can be killed for it. And yet they're doing it anyway. Okay. So rationality is a hard thing to pin down in, in politics and crime. <laughs> One of the same kind of. <sighs> Back to uh, McGregor's article. He says, instead of approaching the negotiating table, Washington discarded the caution given Russia's nuclear arsenal that had guided previous American dealings with Moscow. Trump always talks about nuke, Russians' nukes. Brandon never talks about you know, nukes because he doesn't, you know, he's so arrogant. He thinks that uh, nothing will ever happen that he doesn't declare. <laughs> Got news for you, pal. McGregor says, Washington's political class with no real understanding of Russia or Eastern Europe subscribed to the hate Oh, excuse me, that's a big mistake. Subscribe to the late Senator John McCain's notion that Russia was a gas station with nuclear weapons. Taking a drink break here. Oh, that's better. It's just me. Excuse me, I, you know, I could mute or something like that, but no, it's more fun. <laughs> this way. So think about it. McCain says Russia was a gas station with nuclear weapons. In other words, they sell oil and they've got nukes. That's all Russia is. Then McGregor says Putin is not a risk taker, but he abandoned incrementalism and rapidly reoriented Russian forces to the strategic defense, an economy of force measure designed to minimize Russian losses while minimizing Ukrainian losses until Russian forces could return to offensive operations. Okay, that's why all the the, the missiles, the the uh, uh, the various attacks, the artillery, things like that, uh, designed to wipe out Ukrainian you know people and machines while minimizing you know casualties. In other words, deaths of Russians. Interesting strategy. That's what I would do. If I had a military, I told you, flanking. I would always maneuver over attrition. Always. Minimize losses. Maximize damage. Act as quickly as possible. And um, don't be there when the shells are coming towards you. You know, shoot and leave. <laughs> you know, that's how you do it. Anyway, he says the, uh, the Russian uh, change in strategy has worked. Despite the unprecedented infusion of modern weaponry, cash, foreign fighters, and critical intelligence to Ukrainian forces, Washington's proxy is shattered. Ukraine's hospitals are brimming with broken human beings, and Ukrainian dead litter the battlefield. Kiev is a heart patient on life support. See, I didn't hear that in the news. How come, the, how come we missed that little tidbit? McGregor says Russia's attrition strategy has achieved remarkable success, but the success is making the conflict currently more dangerous than at any point since it began in February 2022. Why? Defensive operations do not win wars, and Washington continues to believe Ukraine can win. So my question for Washington is very simple. Win what? What exactly do you think you can win? Ukraine could never, ever win this war. By definition, there's this, the best Ukraine could hope for will be to drive Russia out of Ukraine. But there's no way Russia is going to surrender to Ukraine. That's the, the definition of winning a war is when the other side surrenders. The classic definition of war is when the war stops. <laughs> you know, very few wars in history have gone to surrender. Usually the, the forces leave. Say, so, okay, we've had enough. We're going home. Winter comes. You know, summer comes and it's too hot to fight. The rain's coming. It's too muddy to fight. Something happens. Battles, classic battles in history have ended for all kinds of different reasons. They would fight and they would go home. Fight in the spring into early summer and then they'd go home and then they'd harvest their fields and they'd live through the winter and they'd come back next spring and they'd fight again. It's pretty much classic warfare. <laughs> you know, went on for thousands of years. Um, so look at the ancient Romans and Greeks and Egyptians and the war they fought. 
you know, a huge battle might be 10,000 people. Massive battle. Nowadays, that's, uh, that's an army unit. <laughs> you know, a division of soldiers is 20,000. So what today is one division of soldiers used to be a massive battle in ancient times. Because they weren't that big. Here we go. More from the article. Washington discounts Ukrainian losses and exaggerates Russian losses. Let me say that again. Washington discounts Ukrainian losses and exaggerates Russian losses. Well, everybody does that in war. You know, your side loses less, the other side, you know, you kill more of them. Everybody does that. He says, officers present at meetings in the Pentagon tell me that the minor Ukrainian battlefield successes that are almost insta- instantly reversed loom large in the discussions held in four-star headquarters. That would be four-star generals, okay? The White House and Foggy Bottom. Foggy Bottom is where the State Department is. He says, these reports are treated as incontrovertible, ev- incontrovertible evidence of inevitable Ukrainian victory. So in other words, they're, they're, propaganda, they're believing their own propaganda, which is stupid. If you, as soon as you start believing your own lies, then you've lost it. And that's what they're doing. They're, 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 their lies are not working. And so they believe that Russia's losing and Ukraine's winning. Uh, that's hysterical on its face. But secondly, it's dangerous that these people are so stupid. And yet they're the ones who are waging the war, which uh, points to the fact I have no faith in, faith in experts anymore. Military experts, you know, medical experts, all these people that are experts are killing people in, in, in mass numbers. So, so experts are actually the problem, not the solution. Anyway, he says, in this climate, staff officers, that'd be those below general colonel, those are just the, or maybe like colonel and below, would be the regular officers that actually get the job done. Uh, he says, in this climate, staff officers are reluctant to highlight effective Russian military performance or the impact of Russia's expanding military power. In other words, they won't tell them the truth. <laughs> that's, what, that's what McGregor just said, right? The Western media reinforced these attitudes, arguing that the Russian generals and their forces are dysfunctional, yeah, right, mired in corruption and sloth, and that Ukraine can win if it can get more support. Well, that's, that argument can go on forever. Oh, we need more support. We haven't won yet. Well, we just need more support. So we get more support. We need more support. Well, we need more support to win. Well, we've given you all kinds of support and you haven't won. No, we just need more. I mean, that, that argument never ends, right? He says, uh, and that uh, Ukraine can win if it gets more support. As a result, it is a good bet that Washington and its allies will continue to provide equipment and ammunition, though probably not in the quantities and of the quality they did in the recent past. So now they're going to make Ukraine with fewer uh, armed forces fight with inferior arms and less of them, less ammo. You know, and, and say, well, you, you can win now with less stuff and, and fewer people. Yeah, good luck with that. This is madness. This war never should happen. All right. Anyway, back to the article. Warsaw, whose leadership of NATO's anti-Russian crusade is prized in Washington, uh, finds comfort in the Beltway, that's around Washington, D.C., Beltway's belief in Russian military weakness. Mm-hmm. So much so that Warsaw, that's the capital of Poland, seems willing to risk direct confrontation with Moscow. Uh, that to me is insanely stupid. Anyway, he says, according to French sources in Warsaw, if Ukrainian forces are driven back, the Poles, that would be the Poles of Poland, may introduce the first division this year, which will include the Poles, the, the Balts, that would be the Baltics, and a certain number of Ukrainians. Oh, that would be stupid. If Poland joins the war, Poland joins Ukraine fighting Russia, yeah, that's, this, that's how World War I got started. Well, when they should Serbia, you know, uh, shot uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, uh, you know, Serbian shot uh, the Austrian uh, Fran- Archduke, and then Austria declared war on Serbia, and then Russia declared war on Austria, and then Germany declared war on Russia, and then England declared war on Germany. <laughs> we got World War I, right? Maybe that's not exactly the right order, but you get the idea. Now he says, now, McGregor says, Washington has misjudged Moscow. <laughs> like that's new. 
The Russian National Command authorities may well think that Warsaw's actions align with Washington's intentions. He says, President Biden, uh, McGregor, you should never say President Biden. There is no such person. There is Joe Biden in the White House, but there is no President Biden. That reaffirms the coup, and I refuse to do that. So let me just say Biden, Biden's illegal (laughs) executive order to extend hazard pay to American soldiers currently serving in Ukraine who are not supposed to be there, (laughs) no doubt reinforces this opinion. So we're going to pay people more for for not that are not supposed to be in Ukraine. (laughs) Russians know they are there. The American people don't know they're there because this is all the Americans in the dark. That's what this is about. Right. Oh, there's my email subscription thing. Maybe I should subscribe. That's some pretty good stuff here. American conservative. You think they'll publish my articles? <laughs> anyway, he says, uh, but it is far more likely that the Polish tail wants to wag the American dog. The Poles know their military intervention in historic Galatian Ukraine. That'd be from Gaul. That'd be the old uh, enemy of, of ancient Rome. Galatian Ukraine will provide a military response from both Belarus and Russia. By the way, we have listeners in Belarus. So my Belarusian listeners, <laughs> Belarusian is that a, I guess it's the right word? Get us on live chat. So you folks in Belarus, you know, uh, all five of you, you know, uh, I don't know how many there are. Um, if you want to, if you want to talk to me directly, tell me what's going on with Belarus and Russia. We've got live chat. So if you're listening on the podcast, you can't do it. But if you can listen live, uh, seven to ten a.m. Central Time USA. What time would that be? Let me see if I can find. Uh, let me get my world clock out. What's the closest to? Um, is answered? No, Belarus. Belarus would be. Let's see what Moscow time is. San Francisco, Vegas, Denver, Manila. No, that's the wrong way. We need to do European capital. Maybe Sofia. I think that's Romania. 4.17 in the afternoon. Uh, Tehran is 4.47. I think I got Amsterdam here, too, just because of... uh, I don't have Amsterdam. I should have what Amsterdam time. Let me look up Amsterdam time. Oh, I do have Amsterdam. 3.17. So it's 3.17 in the the afternoon where Marco is. So I'm guessing Belarus is like 5 or 6. So it's either 5 or 6 at night in Belarus. So you guys, you could be able to listen live. Just type in. I want a Belarusian reporter to report on the Ukraine war. That'd be great. Okay, Marco's got a quote here. He says, one of the enduring myths about signals intelligence, that would be called SIGINT for those in the biz. You know, in other words, the company is what they call the CIA. Signals intelligence in the Second World War is that Britain's Prime Minister Winston Churchill knew from intercepted messages that the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor in December 1941, but kept the fact secret to bring the U.S. into the war on the Allied side. So I'm not sure where Marco got this. Uh, Belarus is not at night. Uh, it's 618. 618. Okay, so it's 418. Well, it's pretty close. Okay. So they're about an hour uh, ahead of Amsterdam. So it's so Belarus. Come on, type in, guys. Hope you get the. Med- I know somebody, at least one person, listens in Belarus. I don't think it's a big audience, but uh, yeah. Let's get uh, Moscow also. Oh, same time in Moscow. Okay, same. T- what time zone is that? I, I haven't studied my European time zones. What do you guys call it? So if we start at Greenwich Mean Time, Prime Meridian. Um, does that have a name? Like here we have uh, in the United States, starting from the East Coast, we have Eastern and then Central that I'm in, and then Mountain. That's where like Colorado and the Rockies are. In the Pacific, that would be California uh, up to Washington. So those are our time zones. What are they, what, do they have names for the time zones in Europe? I haven't even looked yet. It would be interesting. Oh, anyway, so, so Marco says one of the enduring myths of signals intelligence in the Second World War is that Britain's Prime Minister Winston, Winston Churchill knew from intercepted messages that the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor. Well, see, now, I don't believe what that is. I don't think that's a myth at all because we've broken the Japanese code. 
not, I don't know when exactly we broke the Japanese code. That's probably one of the mysteries of World War II. But if, if we broke it, as I believe we did, before Pearl Harbor, then we knew exactly when they were going to attack. And we let it go. So here's the question, Marco. If you didn't know that the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor, you wouldn't have done anything to defend. Oh, here we go. Uh, MST, Moscow Standard Time, uh, CET, Central European Time Zone. So I guess um, Belarus, Ukraine would be in the Central. U- no, they're in the Moscow Time Zone. Okay, Moscow Standard Time, MST. Okay, good to know. This is fat. This is the I love having Marco in Europe. It just fills in all kinds of gaps for us. This is why I need reporters around the world. All right, so since we did Japanese code, uh, probably before the war, that uh, we knew, I believe Roosevelt knew, it didn't matter whether Churchill knew or not. Uh, if Churchill knew, he, you know, would he have told uh, Roosevelt? It's in his interest to, because if he knew and didn't tell him, then he looks like a liar. If he did know, uh, and he did tell Roosevelt, then Roosevelt could make the decision to either let the attack go ahead on us to get us in the war, which is what he wanted anyway, or defend against it and stop it. So, the, so here were, here were Roosevelt, uh, Roosevelt's options. Okay? Roosevelt could have, knowing that the attack was coming, as I believe he did, knowing that it takes sympathy to get Americans to do things, uh, knowing the great tradition of letting something get sunk <laughs> you know, or attacked to get us into a war. Uh, we have a great tradition of that, by the way. Um, what was it? Uh, Fort Sumter in the Civil War? Ah, got to go to war now. You know, the South has attacked Fort Sumter. Uh, the main, the battleship uh, that was sunk in Havana Harbor starting the Spanish-American War. Uh, the Gulf of Tonkin, you know, where I think a destroyer called the Greer was sunk. Oh, got to go to war. <laughs> you know, the Lusitania in World War I. Got to go to war. <laughs> yeah, all these different things happen. There's always the, the sympathy you know, somebody gets destroyed, you know, let's, let's make the world safe for democracy. Lusitania got sunk by a German torpedo. Let's go to war. Uh, Pearl Harbor, same thing. How about 9-11, the Patriot Act? You know, the greatest removal of American rights and, and uh, personal privacy was the Patriot Act, which came after uh, uh, 9-11, after our World Trade Center was attacked. Interesting, huh? By the way, does anybody know how Building 7 blew up uh, when an airplane did not hit it? <laughs> One of those little mysteries, yeah, which goes to the demolition charge theory. So the question is, I believe Roosevelt knew. I believe if Roosevelt knew, he would have told Churchill because they would have worked on a plan and said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this attack happen, um, and, uh, you know, and that way we'll get the United States into the war. And Churchill's like, great, <laughs> then you can send us all kinds of stuff, and we can defend uh, against Germany so you don't have to come into the war as much. Of course, he wanted the United States in the war. Now think about this. So, Marco, here's the question. So if you were Roosevelt and you knew, the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor. Uh, if you did not want a war with Japan, you could have gone out and sunk their carrier task force before they, before they attacked. Because you would have known where they were, right? You could have tracked the radio signals. You could have, uh, this is World War II technology, right? You would have intercepted the code. You would have known the code. They would have been, you got the code back and forth so you know where the ships were. You knew when they were going to launch. And you attack them before they launch. Okay? So there is no attack on Pearl Harbor and there is no war in the Pacific. That would have been the smart thing to do and the right thing to do. Roosevelt didn't do that because he wanted a war, right? So he lets the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor knowing that's why he didn't let the, radio, the radar call go through. That's why uh, um, they attacked. But here's the, one, here's the part that, that is absolutely convincing to me. Roosevelt, or the admiral at, the, at Pearl Harbor, sent the carriers out. So they left the battleships. Now, if you take a look at the battleships that were sunk at Pearl Harbor, they're all World War I battleships. They're basically obsolete. So Roosevelt lets the Japanese kill 3,000 American soldiers, mostly on the Arizona, on obsolete battleships, 
sitting ducks in Pearl Harbor. I've been to Pearl Harbor. I went. To, I took my daughter to the Arizona Memorial. Right? You know, I, I've been talking so much. I don't have time for my interview. <laughs> this is kind of funny. Maybe I'll play it tomorrow. We'll play. I actually I have to play it. I'm gonna have to extend uh, CJ a little bit. I might get started. I'll, I'll just get her 15 minutes late. She'll hate me, but I, I want to get it in because it's the title of the show, and it's really kind of key. So I'll start that in a few minutes. Um, but there's a question for you. There's a question. If you if you didn't know the ca- the, the the attack was coming, why would you send the carriers out and leave the obsolete battleships? That's how I know. I know he knew because he sent the carriers out. He knew he needed the carriers, and he knew he didn't need the obsolete battleships. That's why I let the battleships uh, go. How much more of this article do I have? Am I almost done? Almost done. <laughs> Let me finish this article. I'll start my interview. I'll, t- I'll tell CJ we're starting a few minutes late. Do-do-do. And he says, now Washington is misjudging Moscow. The Russian national authorities may well think that Warsaw's activities align with Washington's intentions. <laughs> Resident Biden's executive order. I think I read that. But it's far more likely uh, I read that too. Oh, last paragraph. America's proxy war with Russia has transformed Ukraine into a graveyard. Indulging Poland's passion for war with Russia encourages Poland to follow the Ukrainian example. The very idea must leave Moscow no choice but to bring all of Russia's military power to bear simultaneously against Ukraine before the collective West stumbles into regional war. Make peace, you fools, before it's too late. And I agree with him. Moscow's going to have to escalate this. So I agree with McGregor. Make peace, you fools, before it's too late. On that note, it is now 8.25, so I'll probably start to, uh, yeah, we'll start about 10 minutes late for CJ. She'll understand. I want to make sure I get this in because it's so cool. Uh, according to McGregor, he says, I recognize the story. Yeah, I'll, I'll post it. I think I've already posted it, but just in case, I'll post it again. All right, 8.25. So let me set this up again. I did this incredible interview with my old radio station, WBY, um, with this young group of high school kids from the Pensacola Christian Academy uh, with the robotics team. There is a video of that interview of all of us in the studio on my Facebook page. I found it. They still had it on their Facebook page, which was kind of interesting. Let me find Steel Tempest. Where we got down here? almost got it here. So all the things you hear about um, WBY or phone numbers that aren't 215-383-3832, any of those things. All that stuff uh, has to do with my old station. So this is a this was a show I did April fourth, fourteenth, excuse me, April fourteenth of twenty seventeen with a bunch of really great high school kids. Don't know where they are now, but I can see if I can find them again. And this is the kind of fun we had at WEBY. And when it refers to a video of all of us in the studio, you can go to my Facebook page, Greg Penglis, you know, right there, and it's one of the top posts of that video. You can kind of watch along uh, and see how it all worked out. But this is how it was back on April fourteenth. 2017, I've been in radio six weeks, and this is what we did. Yeah, we can have fun. 8.06 in the morning. This is Greg Penglis in the Action Radio Hour, and I have my very special guest, the Steel Tempest from the uh, both the Pensacola Private School of Liberal Arts and the Creative uh, Learning Academy. So we've got everybody here. We've got a robot. So Chelsea, you want to show our robot here. And this is the Steel Tempest robotic team. And so we're going to talk all about this. You can call in 623-1330. Love to hear from you. 850-623-1330. we got to talk about the competition. We're going to talk about the robot. We're going to talk about uh, all these wonderful folks here from the high schools. And uh, let's get started. So my first guest is you. 
you're up. So what's your name? My name is Blake. And how do you fit into this whole thing, Blake? Uh, I was... Don't mind me. I'm just going to play with your microphone. Uh, I was part of the, the robotics team that formed this team from last year. How to start? Uh, so we were part of this, uh, this robotics team that kind of needed people. Okay. So we, we joined up and ended up using uh, my dad's garage the whole time. Okay. And we built the whole thing in there. So the, did you know anything about robotics before you started, or was this all knowledge you, you kind of I kind of just figured out? wanted to try it. Are, I, are you a tinkerer? Did you, like, take apart the toaster when you were a kid and, you know, redo the microwave? And, and so Are you one of those guys? Not really. I, I like to play with Legos when I was younger. But okay. Well, there you go. It. Okay. Well, I mean, everybody does something that makes it kind of fun. But uh, so, and we got Chelsea back here. You can take a picture of yourself so we know who you are. Mm-hmm. So aim it in the camera on you. There you go. So Chelsea's our official camera person, and we're going to switch off. And we got—we only have so many microphones, so unfortunately we can't get everybody uh, in on this. But anyway, if you go to our Facebook uh, page, WEBY, 1330WEBY Facebook page, we're all, we're all here on camera. And so we can take a look at this, this robot here. And let's get to our next person. Darian? No, Giovanni. Giovanni, I'm Giovanni sorry. Lopez, okay. yeah. What's that now? Giovanni Lopez. Yeah. There you go. So tell us about you and how you got into this uh, whole thing. Same thing as Blake. I mean, we uh, showed up. I think on like the last three days of the whole uh, team from the Boy Scout coming together. Okay. And um, we heard that they needed more team members, so we decided to show up because we were interested in it. We got like a flyer from okay. their team, and uh, they needed more members, so we joined the last one of the last meetings. And uh, in that meeting, we disgui- figured out what we were going to do with the robot and how to build it. And then from then, uh, we ended up actually taking the robot and building it at Doug's garage, which is Blake's dad. Okay, so um, there wasn't some big car in the way and a lot of junk. It wasn't a man cave. There was room for you guys to... Hey, well, it, it is a lot of junk. <laughs> okay, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it was, it was really stuff. interesting because um, I think it was, it was funny because no one there had a plan for building the robot, their team at least, and so we ended up taking you know, control of that and having it built at our place. Okay, uh, so... A couple of questions. So, so the Boy Scouts had a robotic team, and they didn't have enough members in the Boy Scouts to they, do it? They wanted more because, you know, typically the teams are from anywhere. It's a minimal, probably about 30 people. And you guys have what? Seven, seven. people. Yeah. So yeah. you're competing against teams of 30 with, with just you seven? Right. Did anybody have any expertise in this before? Did you just, just kind of learn by doing, or how did it work? No, not, not at all. I mean, we came into it. You know, we're a liberal arts school, so you know that we're not really that big on science and stuff like that, yeah. math or whatever. But um, Well, tell me about the school. I'm curious. This is the Pensacola School for Liberal Arts. How did you get there? What, how does the school work, either of you? And then we'll get to you down here. Too. Or any, anybody. If you have a microphone, feel free. Just join in. I'm fairly new, so if I were to talk about it, uh, it wouldn't be. Okay, go ahead. I've been there for probably about five years now. Your first name again? Uh, my name is Blake. Okay, we can probably do your names a bunch of times so we can identify you so All people right. know who we're talking to. So go ahead, Blake. Um, so what do you exactly Pensacola want to... School for Liberal Arts. What is it? How does it work? How would you get there? Um, so uh, it's kind of like a block learning system. Okay, how does so, that work? Um, you do one subject a unit. Well, we do one subject in the math a unit. And um, that means that, first of all, we don't have to uh, go to school for nearly as many hours as other people do. Cause, um, and also, we tend to just focus on learning one aspect of, of like, like most schools, they do like an hour of each thing every day. Right. And it's yeah, hard to retain watch, knowledge or you like end up not getting enough time to, to learn certain things okay. in that hour of time. So 
we get like three hours, three, three or four hours to learn. Oh, okay. Subject. It goes more concentrated. Yeah, so yeah. it goes from like 8 o'clock to 12.15, I think. Yeah. For one subject? Uh, for It goes... Uh, don't bring your microphone just a little bit more in front of you. Two here. and a half yeah, hours yeah. for you, your. Yeah, go ahead. It's two and a half hours for your core subject, and it's like an okay. hour and fifteen minutes for math. Okay, let's go to our next person down here. And uh, you are Darian. Hi, Darian. And uh, what's your story? I'm his brother. Okay. So I was on their team last year, but I wasn't like you know actually allowed to because there's an like, age limit for it. What's the age limit? I believe it's. What is it? 14? I thought it was a grade limit. Coming closer there. It's, uh, yeah, it's like a grade limit, I guess. So I was last year in seventh grade. Okay. And I go to Creative Learning Academy. What's that? And it's a college preparatory school. Okay. So, you know, it's like very high academically on like math and science. So, like, it hits those subjects really hard. And, uh. So it's more geared towards a yeah. technical science, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. college major? Yeah, like really okay. Spanish and, and everything. So okay. basically, it's like, you know, to help you get stuff. The story on him joining is really. We didn't have anybody to Go for it. take care it. of him. I mean, it's as simple as yeah. we all left the house, so he had to also I had to go with him. So oh, okay. He, he, yeah, so so you the tag-along brother there? Yeah, I, was, I love I it. That's there. great. And then uh, I decided to join this year again because I thought it was really fun last year okay. going to the competition. So. And what grade are you in now? Uh, eighth grade. Okay. So it's my last year. Yeah, so you're not even in the high school yet. Mm-mm. Okay. And you're on the team? Yeah. This is great. Okay. And you are? Slide the microphone down. There we go. Uh, my name is Noah. Noah, go ahead. Tell me your story. Well, uh, so Giovanni and Blake and the parents came to the school. And, um, Are you Pensacola Liberal Arts or Creative Academy? A Pensacola School of Arts. Okay. He's the only, Darian's the only one on Creative Learning Academy. Okay. Yeah, yeah and uh, so they came to a school one day, and uh, this is, what, morning discussion? Like that. Yeah. Okay. Just, How's that work? What's morning discussion? Like, basically, like... Um, we all just be in one room and we just talk. If there's any announcements or anything yeah. that happens, like there. a homeroom thing. Yes. Yeah, so how long? How, how long does that last? Uh, usually 15 minutes. Okay, so, so that's quick. So it gets minutes. your day going. Yes. yes. Okay. Especially when you're tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, how can you be Everyone. tired? You guys just going to school. What are you up late studying all night long? Do they give you a lot of homework? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We are. Okay. We specialize on research papers, so we're yeah, writing we ten page. Ten page. Papers. We do f- four ten page research papers a, a year. year. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. all sourced and and Every, all, yeah. all credit given. Format, and, yeah. Very okay. very strict. Like a thesis. Yes. So yes. thesis format. So that prepares you for college. Yes. Yeah. It's, okay. a, we're, it's also a college preparatory school. Okay. So Noah, what's your what's your last uh, paper on? Just curious. Um, Spanish Civil War. Really? Yeah. Why'd you pick that? It was late and <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, mainly because uh, we're in Spanish right now. That's our that's our class. And, okay. Um, and um, I just chose it because I was kind of interested in it. Okay. There's a famous painting by Picasso called Guernica. Uh, are you aware of that at all? And Actually, I wrote a paper on him last year. He knows. No one knows. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Tell me. About it? Yeah, I'm curious. Oh, God. Uh. <laughs> you don't have to. We can go back to robots if you want, but uh, I'm just interested in what's... Because this is not typical school curriculum. I mean, you guys are going above and beyond. You know, if you're, if you're learning about Spanish Civil War, if you know about the painting, if you know about the history of Franco and everything else and what happened as a prelude to World War II, I mean, this is some pretty in-depth stuff. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, um, I believe that um, after the Civil War happened, like, he had an idea of the, of the painting. And, this is Picasso? Yeah. Okay. And um, he just painted what he, what he felt okay. about it. Yeah. Have you seen it? 
Do you know which one? If you haven't, look up Picasso and look up the painting Guernica. It's about the town that was bombed by, I think, Franco's forces and just obliterated for no reason. Yeah. And it's just horrible destruction there. It's an amazing painting, so feel free to, uh, in fact, I, when, I, when I decorate my new place here, uh, as I'm new, in, I've only been here a month, okay? This is, this is, the show's been going oh, just okay. a little over a month. Okay. So this is how, how fast we're moving here. And this is Action Radio. So this is some, actually, let me tell you about that, because you might want to get involved with this as well, both schools. What Action Radio is, different than talk radio, we're actually going to file legislation. The audience, the radio audience, is going to be a citizen legislature. So if you have bills, even at the high school level, that you think need to be put into the state legislature and into Congress, we're going to have pages for it. My website's coming out, website's coming out in about a week. Uh, it'd be a great thing for you guys to participate in. I want your comments, and uh, it might be kind of fun. Oh, and Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'd just like to say, you know, thank you for having... I, I know we all kind of forgot, but obviously we're all thankful for you to have us join, you know, the, the talk. Oh, thanks, uh, It's my talk. pleasure. And your first name again? Giovanni. Giovanni. Okay, so we're going to keep identifying uh, just so people, like I say, know what's going on. Okay, well, let's take a little break, and we're going to do a robot tour. We're going to describe this thing behind us here, and we'll be able to see it on Facebook Live. I think there's a bit of a delay, but it, the sound should, it might be a little bit advanced, but we'll, we'll figure that out because... We're improvising as we go here. Anyway, 8.16 in the morning. This is the Action Radio Hour. I have my, my special guest, the Steel Tempest, the robotics competition team. And you're going to be tonight where? What's, uh, what's it, the... the go- All right, I'm going to hold it right up there right now. Uh, unfortunately, I made a mistake. <laughs> Confession time. Fess up, Greg. So, yeah, I made a mistake. Um, I uploaded the wrong version. And so what I do in the, in the morning you know, before I put these on, uh, is that I put, um, I take out all the commercials. And first of all, it's boring to listen to. Secondly, they're not paying me. Um, so I, I don't know if it's a copyright violation or not, but uh, I goofed. And so this is the version with the commercials. This is about 13 minutes longer than the other one. Uh, I don't have time to play it before CJ gets here. So now that you've had a little intro, I'm going to play it again tomorrow in its entirety with the correct version, <laughs> you know, so we don't have this problem. Um, but that's what's going to happen uh, tomorrow. But it, it, this is a really great group of kids. And this will actually give me a time to contact them uh, and see if they want to uh, listen. Uh, maybe we can track a few of them down, have them call in. So overall, it's going to work out okay. Um, so having said that, so I'll just pick that one up tomorrow and we'll start over again. In the meantime, I got time to play something else or read an article. And I think I'll, I was looking at an article real quickly here. So my apologies. I goofed. I screwed up. And I'm not afraid to admit it. <laughs> I really screwed up. So, uh, but I don't want you to listen to a bunch of commercials wasting your time. Or mine, because they're boring. Uh, and again, if they, want, if they want to sponsor the show, hey, you know, call me. Write me. You know, I'm here and uh, certainly available to, uh, to take that. So another on our list of um, articles on things that uh, can be cut from the government. Uh, Matt Gates isn't the only one who wants to do that. I've got an article here from the Daily Signal, August 7th, would have been three days ago. Uh, Congressman threatens to cut DHS and DOJ funding ahead of spending fight. And this is Chip Roy. So I'm guessing that Chip Roy uh, and Matt Gates are going to get together on this. At least I hope. So again, my apologies for, for screwing up and, and uploading the wrong one. They have the same title. It's easy to do. And so what happens is Adobe Audition you know, picks up one, but what I should do is check the time because one of them is 13 minutes shorter because all the commercials are taken out. And so that's the one you want to listen to. So let's get to my article here by Virginia Allen, August 7th in the Daily Signal. Congressman threatens to DHS and DOJ funding ahead of spending fight. So this is something I want to do too. So maybe I'm going to touch these guys, you know, with our bill to cut the whole F, uh, excuse me, the whole FBI, the whole DOJ. I don't know about DHS. I'm, I'm curious to see what he says. But anyway, the article says Texas Congressman Chip Roy says he will not approve funding for the Department of Homeland Security, 
those are the folks allegedly uh, on the border, which I call the now Department of, uh, you know, Southern Greeting. <laughs> so the Department of Homeland Security or Justice Department, another word for that, too. Uh, he's not going to fund them unless changes are made. He says, and I can tell you right now, for all my colleagues, I will not vote for a continuing resolution or any funding for DHS or DOJ if we don't get changes to both. And that's uh, Republican lawmaker <laughs> tells Shannon Bream on Fox News Sunday. I'm surprised she had him on. I mean, guy's actually conservative. Anyway, he says, I want, to, I want the border secure. I want DOJ restored to following the rule of law. And we should use the power of the purse, as James Madison wrote in Federalist 58. It's the most powerful weapon against an over-tyrannical executive branch that we see unfold right now before our eyes. Uh, what's, is anybody, I mean, tyrannical is bad enough. Tyrannical means absolute dictatorship, despot, totally corrupt. You know, so what's over-tyrannical? Is that, is that beyond tyrannical? <laughs> Edward Newman uh, was, a, was a great guy uh, in journalism. He prides himself on actually knowing English and using it. He wrote a book called Strictly Speaking. You know, he's talking about the overuse of words. So over-tyrannical. Uh, a tyrannical is an infinitive. If you're a tyrannical, uh, that's, 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 that's the end of the line. It doesn't get worse than that. Okay. So to be over tyrannical is redundant and stupid. You know, he used to talk about, he says, uh, you know, when Henry Kissinger used to talk about the serious crisis, well, a crisis is serious. A crisis is one of the most serious things there is. So to talk about serious crisis is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, that's just my thing on Chip Roy. Chip Roy, learn English. Article says Congress has a deadline of September 30th, the end of the fiscal year, 2023, to pass appropriations bills to fund government agencies, departments, and programs for the next year. Are they working on that at all? Oh, that's right. They're on recess this month. Good timing, guys. He said, article says if the House runs out of time to agree on new appropriations bills, which is what, of course, they always do, lawmakers will likely consider a continuing resolution which is what they always do, <laughs> right? uh, a temporary measure that allows a continued funding of the federal government, generally at prior years levels, so uh, with an increase. So continuing resolution is how they don't have to budget. They continue the abuses of the previous year, which continued the abuses of the previous year, which continued the abuses of the previous year, and so on and so on. We haven't had a budget in, I think, what, 15, 20 years, a real budget with appropriations bills? Can't remember the last one. Probably before Clinton. Anyway, he says, with Congress out of session for the month of August, lawmakers gearing up for appropriations debates throughout September, a fight that may be contentious given positions such as Roy's. Well, uh, debate is one thing. Uh, actually doing something is something else. They can debate it all day. See, see, the Democrats don't care about a debate because they know it's just Republicans talking. But actually doing something, cutting things out of the budget, cutting entire departments, that would be doing something. Now, show me that and I'll be impressed. Show me um, various agencies not funded. Then I'll be impressed. Anyway, he says funding should be withdrawn from the DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who's a total psychopath. I said that. It's not in the article. It would, never would be, but it's true. So he says funding should be withheld from uh, Mayorkas for leaving the border exposed. Okay, let's get this clear once and for all, folks. Alejandro Mayorkas is a terrorist. He's a globalist stooge. His job was to destroy the southern border. His job was to completely open it up. His job was to bring in every single warm body, or maybe even not so warm body at this point, that he can. His job is to flood this country with as many people as he can uh, in the time available. That's his job. He doesn't care 
about a secure border. He doesn't care about the United States. He doesn't care about Americans. He doesn't care about our, our culture, our values, our history, our founding documents. He doesn't care about our Constitution. He doesn't care about anything that he's supposed to care about. All he cares about is, is following globalist masters and bringing as many bodies into the United States as humanly possible. That's what he cares about. Given that, you know, why Congress hasn't removed him is because they're geldings, you know, right? the GOP geldings. He should be gone. So for him to say leaving the border exposed, that's his job is to leave the border exposed. See, you can't fault him for not doing his job. You fault him for, for breaking the law. His job, as he was given, was to open the border. That's what Brandon told him to get, Well, that's what Obama told him to do, open the border. So you can't blame him for that. You can remove him for that, though, because it's criminal, okay? But he's, you know, you can't say, well, you left the border exposed. Well, of course he left the border exposed. That's what, that was his, it was a job assignment. So who assigned him that? Who told him to open the border? That's what you want to do. And you want to throw his ass in jail for violating federal law for letting a bunch of illegals come in, aiding and abetting felons. That's what he did. Then he says, uh, so Roy says, leaving the border exposed and for, for going after Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott for daring to want to secure the border while little girls get sold into the sex trafficking trade that we're all seeing in The Sound of Freedom. Okay, so he's right on that. But, represent, but Republican Governor Greg Abbott should tell Mayorkas to pound sand. He should get the National Guard, you know, arresting everybody who, who enters the United States, you know, through Texas, put them on trains and send them to Washington, D.C. He should be sending 10 to 20 train loads of illegals a day to Washington, D.C. So look, they're not going to stay in Texas. Not going to be here. It's your problem. You brought them in. You take care of them. Don't bring them to our state. That's what he should do. That's what I'd do if I was governor. Anyway, he says, Roy's defense of Abbott is likely in reference to the DOJ filing a lawsuit against the state of Texas for an, erecting a floating buoy barrier in a section of the Rio Grande. We talked about that earlier. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, Roy, so, so Abbott tries to stop the illegals coming in that uh, Mayorkas is supposed to stop, but he's not because he thinks his job is to bring them in. He says, we're securing the border at the, the border at the border, as Governor Abbott says this during press conference. He says, with these buoys, what these buoys will allow us to do is to prevent people from getting, uh, from even getting to the border. That's true. Yeah. So what he's doing is trying to stop people before they even get to a place where they can jump into the United States and into Texas. So that's what's going on. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I'm going to skip the rest of it. But uh, the idea is that um, Chip Roy is going to withhold funding. Yeah, good luck with that, Chip Roy. You've got a bunch of Republicans that want uh, money. That's the problem. They want money. And that's going to be a huge issue. All right, what else we got here? I might get that one tomorrow. It's not a big article. It's kind of like a news thing now. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll change the title of the show, obviously, <laughs> you know, to my, my rant on, uh, I think the, the earlier rant was pretty good. But the um, first hour was kind of fun. <laughs> anyway, so I have about 15 minutes before... Um, um, CJ, I guess you'll play a couple things. You got to take a quick break. So what is it now? Uh, 8:46. Let's go 8:46. Take a break. Play a couple more things, and uh, we'll be back in a little bit. And then I'll do one more article before CJ gets here. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. 
Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Okay, I'm back. we got about uh, 10 minutes. It's 8.50 now before uh, CJ gets here, and we'll find out what's, what's new in the world of wellness. Uh, again, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize for my, my, my goof earlier. Having the wrong version of my interview, the one with all the commercials in it, that one out and put in the proper one for tomorrow. And I'll see if I can find out what's going on with the kids and see if I can see whether, like I said, they're probably college graduates now. That might be fun to have them come back after the interview. So that actually might work out better. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, like I say, uh, every mistake is an opportunity. And that's how I look at it. All right. So here's an article from the Center for Security Policy, folks that you would think would know what's going on with our national security. Uh, and it says lie, that's L-A-I apostrophe S, lies, stopover, will be Beijing's excuse for Taiwan invasion rehearsal. So Taiwan is doing invasion, uh, China is doing invasion rehearsals. In other words, they're getting ready to invade Taiwan. Big surprise. 
and they're probably going to do it before Trump takes office. So if uh, China, you know, they're not stupid. So what they need to do is get everything in place and invade Taiwan before the November 2024 election. So that gives them a year and three months, probably a year and two months. You know, they they want to get this done before uh, before the election. (laughs) We'll see because, you know, uh, anyway. This is by Bradley Thayer, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, Thayer, from it was August 9th, so this was yesterday. Uh, originally published by American Greatness, now it's in the Center for Security Policy, and he is the director of China Policy. And he says, of the uh, center, I guess, uh, or is he, uh, let me look at the bottom here. Hmm, didn't say. He directed security policy somewhere, uh, China policy somewhere, probably the Center for Security Policy. Anyway, I'll, I'll read the article. He says, since Taiwanese President Li Teng Hui, H-U-I, uh, June 1995 visit to his alma mater, Cornell University, well, that's interesting, to give the commencement address, China has reacted with coercive measures against Taiwan. Li's visit was used by Beijing to launch a series of ballistic missiles into the waters around the island. Beijing reaction caused the third Taiwan Straits crisis of 1995-1996. I guess there's a lot of these things, right? He says, unlike the previous crisis of 1954, 1955, and 1958, <laughs> there are a lot of these, uh, the third crisis demonstrated Beijing's growing capabilities to implement a blockade or invasion of Taiwan. Since the late 1990s, China's military capabilities have grown spectacularly, mostly paid for by us, and technology handed over by Brandon and other traders to China, right? Uh, he says, have grown spectacularly to the point where they are a formidable danger to the U.S., its allies, and to Taiwan. They are now able to support its longstanding ambitions to conquer Taiwan. Uh, Beijing employs the visits of U.S. officials to Taiwan or the Taiwanese leadership to the U.S. to both justify coercion against Taiwan and to mask invasion exercises. He says, the August 2022 visit of Speaker Nancy Pelosi was used to execute the first of three major exercises Chinese military doctrine calls for in an invasion of Taiwan. So this has all been worked out. This is all prescripted. It's all, you know, it's all set together. He says, this was the PLA, that's the People's Liberation Army's Joint Fire Strike Campaign, JFSC, in April of this year, coinciding with Speaker Kevin McCarthy's visit, the People's Liberation Army uh, conducted a joint anti-air raid campaign uh, rehearsal under the rubric of exercise, quote, quote, Joint Sword 2023. Joint sword. Hmm. This was the second major rehearsal for an invasion of Taiwan in the past 10 months. Hmm. A lot of rehearsals. While the CCP commonly employs the excuse of Taiwanese officials visiting the U.S. or with leadership meeting with the U.S. Uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives as an impetus for these provocative acts, the truth, uh, in truth, this venom and calumnies, calumnies is a good word, regarding Taiwanese leaders are cover for the PLA conducting these invasion rehearsal exercises. The transit of Taiwanese Vice President and Democrat Progress Party, DPP, presidential candidate and frontrunner Lai Ching-te through the United States should generate the third and final major dress rehearsal. They're saying this is the last dress rehearsal before the invasion of Taiwan? This is is interesting. I didn't see this on the news. Anyway, Lai will arrive in New York on August 12th, and that's in two days, on his way to Paraguay for an August 15th, that's in five days, (laughs) ceremony for that country's new president. He will return through San Francisco on August 16th, well, six days. Beijing claims that the stopover is a violation of his territorial integrity. Well, that's interesting. So they're, they're you know, wherever the uh, Taiwanese vice president goes, that's an invasion of their territory. That's interesting. 
I guess is persona non grata in China. He says he will return through San Francisco. He says Beijing claims that the stop. Okay, I read that. It is likely that live stopover will provide cover for the final major element of the Taiwan invasion strategy to be exercised by the PLA, the joint island landing campaign. The three exercises allow the Chinese military to test each major functional warfighting capability necessary for a successful invasion. So they're not going in unless they know they can go in and win. That's interesting. He's one key targets on Ta- once key targets on Taiwan are neutralized, the Joint Fire Strike Command campaign and the control of the air over Taiwan is achieved during the Joint Anti-Air Raid campaign. The PLA Navy will then launch an amphibious invasion of the island that will include the use of many civilian roll-on, roll-off. Roro, <laughs> Roro, it's like uh, who's that? That uh, Astro and uh, the Jetsons. All right, Roro. <laughs> so they got the Roro ferries along with the PLA Air Force, landing airborne forces to seize key airfields that will allow a vast number of Chinese civilian aircraft that will allow China to move and sustain a massive invasion force. The Joint Island Campaign exercise will be conducted on the mainland coast in the Fujian and Guangdong provinces, and will be the final rehearsal before any real invasion of the main island. The I can't say this Biden administration. <laughs> I can't say it. Uh, Brandon cannot be surprised or caught on the back uh, foot uh, by China's actions as Beijing is telegraphing its capabilities to conduct an invasion. Yeah, three times, apparently. Neither can it be distracted due to the ongoing war in Ukraine or recent Chinese threats to, do our, to our treaty ally in the South China Sea. All are important and require clear thinking, extensive planning, and determination to deter these overt acts by Beijing. Now, I've got another article which talks about why it's very difficult to invade Taiwan. I'll bring that up for tomorrow. Uh, I think that would be a very interesting counter to this. So if you listen to this show and you get tomorrow's show, you'll see uh, how they all tie together. Article says this, the $345 million in military and uh, aid recently announced by the Brandon Insurrection, my words, is welcome, but it's far from sufficient to meet the military requirements of Taiwan and American forces in the region. Well, of course, because all our money is going to $150 billion or $180 billion now went to Ukraine for no reason. So that's why we can only give $345 million to Taiwan, our ally by treaty, because we're giving $150 to $180 billion to Ukraine, which is not ours by treaty. Fascinating. Anyway, he says, as such, the U.S. military requires to meet all avenues of attack. This kind of commitment is substantial and will require years to construct and implement. It will require expanding the U.S. footprint on Taiwan. However, this is, uh, this is time Taiwan does not have, as Beijing has exercised the major components of an invasion. Okay, so how do you – remember we talked about in the first article um, by Douglas McGregor, the two ways to wage war, right? Attrition, which is your side kills their side, their side kills your side, and then whoever has the most people to start with and can lose the most wins because they have more people to lose, so uh, – you know, whoever has the least people to lose, loses. That's attrition. Maneuver is, is, is strategic. In other words, you're, uh, you're, you're planning. You're, you, you can take a smaller force and beat a bigger force simply by outflanking and outmaneuvering them. That's what Taiwan needs to do. So what I would do with Taiwan is give them a million, or maybe five million, uh, AR-15s. There's no way that China can hold uh, Taiwan. You know, you get, it's only six million population, right? See, so give, them, give them three million AR-15s. There's got to be three million people there that can shoot an AR-15. Well, how's, how's an invasion force from China going to stand up to everybody having a rifle? They aren't. That's how the, the Swiss stopped the Nazis in World War II. Everybody in Switzerland had a rifle. That's why the Nazis didn't invade. It's not that Switzerland was neutral. They weren't neutral. They were just there. But everybody in Switzerland had, uh, had a gun. And so the Nazis knew if they invaded Switzerland, you know, the casualties would be so prohibitive that it was no, not worth doing. So they didn't. They went to the low countries where they could just walk right through. 
because they didn't because everybody didn't have a gun except for the resistance. Anyway, back to the article. Almost done. CJ is on the line. I'll get right to her in a second. It says, as only the U.S. military in conjunction with allies like Japan, Australia, and the Philippines can deter an attack today, action is needed immediately. We'll see what they recommend. First, the branded insurrection, my words, needs to devote the attention of the U.S. national security community on the deterrence of an invasion of Taiwan. Well, there's a meaningless statement. What does that mean? Talk? Idiots. Ambiguity is the death knell of deterrence, and clarity is handmaiden. Oh, very clever, but that, again, doesn't cause any action, right? This article is stupid. I like reading stupid articles every once in a while. These are the people that are running things, okay? Just to let you know how stupid they are, listen to those last two sentences. That's why we're in trouble, folks. Then it says, the greatest gap in the Biden, excuse me, the Brandon administration, my words, could accomplish is to end the de facto policy of strategic ambiguity. <laughs> so the confusing strategy of uh, strategic ambiguity and instead link Taiwanese security to that of the U.S. Well, actually is done by treaty, right? That is to make an extended deterrent come into Taiwan. Well, like I say, we already have one by treaty. Then it says that is the only measure that can ensure uh, Taiwanese security in the immediate term. No, it won't, because China doesn't care about us, because they know they got, we've got Brandon in charge. He's not a legitimate president. He has no real power. He doesn't know how to exercise it. He's a total moron that should be on a porch watching the sunset and eating ice cream. And this is the perfect time for China to attack. All this, all this talk of strategic ambiguity and all this other nonsense, and we have to make a firm stand and make a firm verbal commitment, you're wasting your time, pal. This is, you're wasting breath. I think I might go to CJ early. Anyway, it says there are significant and weighty actions that involve risk as the U.S. would be making explicit what Washington for decades has kept implicit. Oh, really? It is unlikely that Brandon will do, my words, will do so given the administration's record on China, which is give them, give them our technology and all our money. It's our record on China. Uh, uh, it says greater military cooperation with Taiwan and Japan that includes uh, uh-huh. We are entering a period of maximum risk of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Is this supposed to be news? Then it says neither Taipei, which is the capital of Taiwan, nor Washington is prepared for it. Yet there is still time to act, but must act now. And do what? <laughs> this article talks about all these platitudes and, and tough talk, but doesn't actually say what to do. Here's what I would do. Give them 3 million AR-15s. Give them all kinds of anti-tank weapons. Give them all that, uh, that javelin anti-tank weapon. Prepare them for an invasion so that the Chinese can't invade. What's the problem here? There's no mystery. This is easy. So the reason that we're in such trouble is because we have these idiots in positions of power at the Center for Security Policy issuing platitudes when they should be sending guns over there. I mean, that's what you do. You know, pay the NRA to uh, round up, uh, you know, three million guns um, and uh, send them all over there, you know, uh, or, or coordinate with the companies. You know, who makes AR-15s? Colt, Springfield, a bunch of different companies. We've got more AR-15s you can imagine. Three million? That'd be easy. Send them over there right now. Just fly them over. We'd be there tonight. You know, send them Amazon. <laughs> uh, CJ, you think we could uh, send, uh, you know, use Amazon to ship uh, 3 million AR-15s to, uh, to Taiwan and make them safe? Anyway, I'll find that article about why it's tough to invade Taiwan. I'll read that one tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm looking for CJ's um, wellness <laughs> theme here because I know I made it. Ah, here it is. Let's get this and let's start talking about healthy stuff. That's all the stuff I've been talking about up until now. What is health? What does it take to stay healthy? We have a longer lifespan than 100 years ago, but is the quality of life any better? 100 years ago, their food was better. They got more exercise. They weren't as fat. They didn't have preservatives, antidepressants, sugar in everything, and they didn't have vaccines. If you talk about alternative health care, 
people think of crystals, incense, strange candles, Ouija boards, notions, potions, lotions, and total hippies telling you to detox, man. So let's change our system of sick care into wellness. Let's get healthy. Let's lower our stress, stop taking in poisons, eat and drink organic, clean food, and let's have a chat with CJ, because this is CJ's Wellness Watch on Action Radio. Oh, I feel better already. A little springtime music, a little flute music. I feel better. I've been ranting here for a bit. <laughs> it's, been, it's been quite oh interesting. Gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I also made a big mistake, too. I was going to play, um, I was playing an interview until I realized I uploaded the wrong one. I uploaded the one with the commercials after I spent uh, an hour this morning editing out the commercials. So I'm going to play that interview again tomorrow. But it would have overrun your time. And, and so this actually worked out well. So I gave a little preview of coming attractions for tomorrow. I'll just change the title of the show and fix things as I do uh, periodically when I screw up. <laughs> we'll just go from there. So how's your day? Oh my gosh. Well, it is stormy, stormy, stormy here. So I have a doggy here that's not very happy. Um, oh no. But I wanted to compliment you. Oh my gosh. I did listen to your podcast with Christina Bob yesterday and that was amazing. That was so oh, good. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it helps when you have guests so. like that. You know, you, you get some of the, uh, and thank you for the compliment. I really do appreciate it. But uh, what makes it easier is when you have someone of that caliber, you know, who's that smart, who's that, you know, prominent and that uh, big a public figure working directly with, you know, someone like Donald Trump. I mean, the ultimate is getting Donald Trump on the show. Uh, I think we will someday. It's just a question of when. But to have someone like Christina Bob, yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's just a question, you know, but uh, because nobody has the ideas we have. Nobody does what we do. And that's why folks right. like, even though we're, we're not the biggest show out there, you know, Christina Bob, who could, who is on the biggest shows in the country, you know, Fox and Newsmax and uh, One American News and uh, all the conservative networks. She's probably on the liberal networks, too. But she can be on any show representing Trump. That's huge. Yeah. And she's on our show for 20 minutes. You know, I mean, that's... Well, to, yeah. I'm looking forward to having you on my podcast, so I yeah. have to let, let, let you know. So, But, yes, so this week, I think a couple of the things, we touched a little bit on this before. We never got into any any depth, but the two things that I'd love to hit on today that's been a hot topic here recently is uh-huh. iodine, iodine and salt. And when everybody thinks of iodine, they automatically go to, go to thinking about iodine that's in salt. So these have been some big topics here recently and most people don't understand that iodine plays a huge part in different functions of the body and what i find interesting is you know we say this about a lot of things you know this plays a big part this plays a big part you have to have this it's collagen it's up with all this but you know there's so many moving parts in in our body and they are they all are really designed to work together. And it's challenging. You know, it is very challenging to keep everything in sync. And mm-hmm. so if you take any random person, you're never gonna find a person that's got everything perfect going on in their body, right? Because we've lived life, we've been through things, you know. Yeah, but so our body adapts. You know, I mean, if, if you, you you can drink yourself to death, but if you get drunk once, like I did, uh, hopefully the damage right. was repaired, you know, within a few weeks. And, uh, you know, I've lived the rest of my life, you know, pretty much alcohol free. Um, and uh, that's okay. 
you know, so our body adapts. We have an immune system. So that if we catch a virus and there are trillions of them out there, you know, our body adapts. So until the day we die, we're always, you know, fixing, adapting, you know, it's a gradual decline, but you can, uh, you can exercise, you can eat right. You can do all kinds of things to help your body for whatever other things you do. Like I play too much rock and roll. I'm hoping I don't lose any hearing, but you never know. You know, I mean, I try and keep the volume down, but it sounds good playing louder. It just does. I'm just, you know. Yeah. But I, I still, but I know I'm doing well because I keep my volumes really low on on my headset and my uh, um, and the radio show here, so my hearing's pretty good. But that's a that's an occupational hazard of someone that absolutely loves playing guitar. What am I going to do? I'm not going to stop right. playing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my point in talking about these two hot topics, and, and mm-hmm. I'm going to get into some specifics here in a minute, is that we talked about you know medical testing and all the testing that you can do, and I'm all for doing functional medicine things and all those things, those routes. But if you test enough, you're going to find something that you're deficient in or something mm-hmm. that's wrong with you. You know, you're mm-hmm. right. Our bodies, like, adapt. So it, it, it's the point I'm making is that nobody is perfect. Everybody has some sort of deficiency or some sort of something if you've lived life, you know, mm-hmm. at all. And so you have to know where to draw that line because you can take it to the nth degree. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that's important piece for people to know as we talk about different different topics but you know iodine most people are deficient in and iodine plays a really really big role in basically the thyroid and and metabolism and it's an important part of essential minerals just like your magnesium is you know so Mm -hmm. knowing the important benefits that that's the number one Number one is for metabolism and thyroid function. So a lot of times when people have thyroid challenges, unless they're going to an ND or functional medicine person, the the word iodine doesn't even come up, you know? And there's, yeah, I mean, they just want to put you on a pill or something like that. They don't even say, hey, (laughs) let's check your iodine. And what's neat is that you can go to a CVS, a Walmart, a Walgreens, wherever, and you can get iodine and, you know, the liquid iodine. Remember when your mom used to put iodine like on a cut or a boo-boo or even if you still, you know, do it, it's a good thing to do. But there's an absorption test that's really easy for people to test mm-hmm. uh, to see if you're, where your iodine levels are. And you basically want to put a large circle amount on the inside of your forearm and you want to make it pretty dark. And it stays there and it, you can still see it, but it's faded in about 12 hours, you probably are pretty good. You might want to do like half a dropper or one dropper of, of iodine. It's pretty powerful. So, right. you know, you want to take it in small quantities first. But if it disappears, if it disappears within 6 to 12 hours completely, then you definitely need supplementation. You definitely need suppl- supplementation. And it really does help with a lot of different body functions and you know some people you can get it um like i have one right here in front of me and i use dr artisan and it's an iodine but the iodine comes from kelp so normally you don't get enough yeah yeah okay just curious so um so yeah so those are different things uh yeah that you can do to to test to see and then you can make steps accordingly, bump it up or keep where you are. I mean, it also, iodine protects our body, too, from a lot of toxins. It helps with brain function, all the things. And you know what's interesting? It You talk about iodine. 
sometimes have heard iodine correlated to radiation. Well, it can protect your body from radiation exposure as well. And it's also, you know, when we go back to talking about if your mom ever put it on a cut or something, it's basically just a sterilization. It's an antiseptic. So it, it has so many powerful, powerful things to it as a, as a necessary mineral, just like for hair loss, reproductive health. Those are the biggest things. Well, let's talk about for it for, um, in terms of where you get because I know it's associated with salt because they add it to salt. So iodine doesn't occur naturally right. in salt. Okay. So why are they doing that? Are we iodine deficient? We're not eating the foods that have iodine? I mean, I know kelp does, but kelp is seaweed. And a lot of people eating seaweed unless they go to uh, Japanese markets and get those little crunchy wafer things, which I've had, which are okay, but they're kind of, you know, not the tastiest thing in the world. You know, you put some uh, hummus right. on it, they might be okay. <laughs> but anyway, so I don't go around munching seaweed all day. So, so short of that, where do we get our iodine from and, and can we get it from just regular food? Do we need mm-hmm. iodized salt? Yeah, yeah. You can, you can, but it's very hard and challenging to get quantities that you that you need. Where's salt? Where, where's iodine in food? What are, what are the big foods that have it besides kelp? Well, some of the big okay, some of the big foods are seaweed. You've got seafood, eggs, strawberries, cranberries, dairy, dark leafy green vegetables. You know, and so. I eat most of that. But, <laughs> yeah, but because of poor soil quality and other fact- uh-huh. factors in our toxic world, that may not be enough. And like I said, it's it's hard to actually absorb all that. So if you have something in a powder or liquid form that your body can absorb like a sponge, you're actually going to utilize, your body's going to utilize and consume all that iodine. So, yes, you absolutely can get it from come from foods. But most people don't get enough adequate amounts of iodine through their diet alone. In fact, 74% of adults don't. So, how would you know if you're deficient? Said, what, uh, how does it show up if you're deficient in iodine? Like I said, if you, if you get by iodine, any kind of iodine at, at a pharmacy, right? Uh-huh. Then what right. you do is you a whole bunch of it, you know, quite a bit of it, and put it on your forearm, like a big, maybe, no, no, I how to find No, I have to find if you're deficient. What would it do to you if you're deficient? Uh, I know you mentioned thyroid and things like that, but how would you know uh, by symptoms that you're not getting enough iodine? Good, good, good question. Lots of times symptoms are hard to diagnose. I don't think okay. most people don't feel physical symptoms unless, huh. again, you're having medical tests actually run and they say, oh, something's wrong with your thyroid or something's mm-hmm. wrong with this. Then, then maybe you would know. But again, if you're the average person and you go to your doctor and you're having hair loss or you're gaining 20 pounds or whatever it is, right, and they check your thyroid function and there's mm-hmm. something off with your thyroid function, they are not, odds are, they, there might be one in the bunch, but odds are they are not going to advise you to test your iodine levels. They're going to work hmm. with the but they're not trained function. for this. CJ, uh, this is one of the big problems with doctors. They're not trained for this. They're trained for giving a pill. They're trained for very Correct. specific uh, things. They're not, they're not trained in nutrition. They're not trained to look for, for natural uh, cures. They're not trained to do a bunch of things. So I, what I really think, when, we should stop saying seeing your doctor. We should start seeing a doctor or a health practitioner or a something like that. But we assume that the doctor is it and everything else is some kind of alternative. We need to change our language somehow. Because we're not addressing this properly. The, the doctors are a option 
we should call, well, have you seen your, your optional uh, health doctor or, or your optional doctor as opposed to your optional health practitioner or your optional alternative person or your, or your naturopath or your nutritionist? You know, I mean, but to say doctor like an infinitive, like that's the end, that, that's all you have to do, I think is part of the problem. We need to start thinking of doctors as, as an option in the healthcare system, not as an end in itself and everything else is an alternative to the doctors. I think that perception, if we could start to work on that, would make a huge difference too. What do you think? Exactly. Okay. I know. I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, but we go back, we go back to the statement that we've made before. The majority mm-hmm. of people, unfortunately, don't have the means to go to a functional doctor, a naturopathic doctor, because our mm-hmm. corrupt system doesn't cover well care or proactive health care. All it covers is sick care with the crappy quote unquote insurance. You know, so but that's a very true statement. But unfortunately mm-hmm. it doesn't happen as often as it should. Well this is what action radio is for. I mean this is we need to have uh, just as we have school choice, we need health choice. You know, you've got a situation right. in Arizona where, where the you get the money uh, that the government would spend on a government school for you. And you get to take it to the government school or the private school or the home school or whatever you want to do. Well, you need to do exactly the same thing with health. Whatever money the government would spend on entitlements or Medicare or anything like that or tax deductions or tax credit needs to go to people individually, uh, especially lower income folks. So they have the option to get insurance if they want or, or pay for different things that they want. And uh, they should be able to cover, you know, their health costs. And all I think all health costs, you know, legitimate costs, not, not you know, um, you know, not, not your plastic surgery, your elective stuff, but legitimate health costs should be just as covered from a nutritionist uh, as would be covered from, uh, you know, uh, a doctor option. I just start calling them doctor options. Did you take the, the doctor option or did you take the nutritionist option? Uh, we need to start equating them. And so I'm going to start working on that as, as a language thing. But uh, that's the way to do it. I mean, the money's there. Yeah. You know, we just spent we spent six trillion on Afghanistan. How many how many individual health care plans could we have funded uh, low income health care plans where people had a choice where they didn't have to have insurance? They could just take the money directly to uh, a practitioner and say, hey, I need uh, hydroxychloroquine at 20 cents a tablet. I think I might have COVID. OK, no problem. Here, we'll give you a two week supply. You got uh, five bucks. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's how we do that. could do it. Actually, how much would we 20 cents a day? Two dollars. So two dollars would right. get you uh, 10 pills. Uh, so two fifty would cover you for two weeks. <laughs> you know, I mean, but that you know, but that's the kind of thing that that we could do. And of course, the knowledge would be out there and all kinds of things. So if we had a real health care system, as opposed to a, a death care or whatever you want to call it, of a of a Western medical insurance, insurance is the biggest problem. It's the things they don't cover. Yeah. Well, they should cover everything. So it'd be interesting if you and the and your your fellow practitioners would get together and and, and tell if you want to be in the insurance health insurance business, you get everything. Chiropractor, nutrition, um, all kinds of you know essential oils. Who cares? It, it's I wouldn't. I don't know about crystals. I haven't quite thought that one through yet. But there's a lot of. But anything that actually has a real health impact, whether it's the doctor option, the the Western doctor option, Eastern medicine. I mean, what's, what's wrong with going directly to the herbs? Why do you need a pill that comes from herbs when you can get the herb directly? Why not? Right. Yeah. Right. So true, let's get a pill. statement. Mm-hmm. You know, and someday when this world gets turned around, that's, you know, I, I, I'm claiming that that's the way it's going to be, you know, because more mm-hmm. people need, need, need that. And, you know. We have it, to make it happen because there's too much vested interest in the other side. They're making exactly. too much money. It's like, why don't we have a cure for cancer? 
I'll bet you everybody knows how to cure cancer. I'll bet you the medical industry knows how to cure cancer. I bet you they've known for 20 years how cancer works, how it's generated in your body, how the mutations occur. I bet you they've mapped it out, done it, electron microscope that I bet you know, they know exactly how cancer cells divide. I bet you they know how to stop cancer cells, but there's simply too much money in it. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yep. Yep. That's why we have to educate ourselves on, you mm-hmm. know, uh, chlorine dioxide and the ivermectin. Yeah, tell me about that. All the no, uh, chlorine dioxide, because Josie mentioned that too. She thinks it cures pretty much everything. What is it? I'm going to get back to iodine. What is chlorine dioxide? Well, <laughs> I've been digging a lot into it, and there's mm-hmm. um, a book that you can read. I own chlorine dioxide. I've taken it once or twice, but I will tell you, you got to build your tolerance up for it. it, it it's <laughs> disgusting. It, I mean, <laughs> that has nothing to do with whether it works or not. You know, oh, it's no, more I know that. for me. Right. Okay, I'm so it really does taste like your chlorine dioxide, right? Like you're drinking pool water. You have to this, know, this, and I actually have This from the woman who drinks apple cider vinegar straight. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I had my apple cider vinegar this morning, yeah. But oh, yeah. Hey, I don't know why. Apple cider vinegar tastes good to me versus chlorine dioxide, but anyway. Of course it does. Um, oh, God. <laughs> um, well, like I told you, that brings back memories when I used to put vinegar on my french fries at the boardwalk when I was a little girl when I used to eat, you know, stuff like that and soak well, them in the vinegar. British, yeah. I think it's the memories, the British you know? do that. The British, British put, put malt vinegar on their, on their, they call them chips, fish and chips. They put uh, malt yeah. vinegar on their chips, uh, fish and chips. Let's ask Marco. Marco's yeah. from the Netherlands. He's listening too. Hey, Marco, what do you guys put in your French fries? <laughs> we'll see what he says. I know some places they put mayonnaise. I think in, in Germany they <coughs> put mayonnaise in their fries. I know. Everybody has their own thing. Let's see. What, what do you do in the Netherlands? What do you do with your fries? <laughs> we could do a whole study of what people put on their French fries. In fact, the French, you know, we invented French fries. They didn't come from France, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. 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 Okay. Back to vinegar. Well, the chlorine, okay. well, the chlorine, chlorine dioxide, it's, it's an interesting substance. You have to have part A and part B. I don't have it right here in front of me. And you need to mix it the right uh-huh. way. Like most, some people will put water and then add their drops. That's not going to do it any good. You have to put one drop of each, I believe, let it mix. So it gets like a, a yellow because I think one is orange and one is clear, part A, part B. And then you put water in it and you just chug it and drink it. And um, I don't know this off the top of my head. I do have it written down in, in my notes. But uh, you have to do it for so many consecutive days and then you're off for like two days. And then you increase the drops to two drops of A, two drops of B. So there's, there's a systematic way to do it to get the maximum Results and that means basically detox, getting rid of parasites. Some people have reactions to it. I mean, uh-huh. when I say reactions, maybe just like a little sick to your stomach or diarrhea, you know, some, something like that. Um, oh, and some people get what? the benefits without actually, you know, feeling the physical effects of the benefits. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. that means you're not, some people get the benefits, but they're not pooping worms. Some people actually poop worms. Some people Ooh. actually throw up. Some people, it's just different for everybody. Because of chlorine dioxide, it makes them throw up and dump their worms? Sometimes. Sometimes. Ooh. Wow. I, mean, I, 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 that ivermectin, I, mean, I want to try some ivermectin just because I don't think I have any parasites, but I don't know. You know I've traveled, I've right. you know, dined over Europe and different countries and places, um, but, uh, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, I can tell mm. you, uh, 
um, I mean, I know we're squirreling, but that's what we do. Like ivermectin, I have a tube of it sitting right here on my on my counter here in the kitchen. And it lasts a long time depending on what you're using it for, how you use it. I bought a tube that looks like a really big needle. It just looks like a really big needle and it's apple flavor and it pushes up literally like a tube. It looks like a big, big, big syringe. And then there's also ones that come in the tube with the paste. But anyway, I've been using this on, I had a little, I, I, I don't know why I think I mentioned this before. I had a little bump on my arm, not acne, but like a little bump and it was just getting red and I was itching it and it was getting bigger. I was like, oh, what the heck is this? And I put just a tad of the, like a, a pin size amount on the top of the head of a pin on this consistently. And it is almost gone. It only took about four applications. Is this so, chlorine dioxide? No, I'm talking about the ivermectin paste. Uh, ivermectin paste. Okay, all right. Yeah, we got to keep our, our chemicals straight here. Yeah, so ivermectin. Um, so I don't know what the uh, the adult dose is for for you know my size person. I'll find out. Um, but that's just on my on my list of things to do. I wanted to get one you know parasite detox just in case. Not that I think anything's there, but it couldn't hurt. You know, well, I mean, pretty, pretty and for stuff. you, like I said, mm-hmm. for you, well, almost for anybody. I mean, a race. Uh, if you look at a pencil, a pencil eraser. Mm-hmm. You could start off with just a pencil eraser size and just put it in your mouth and, and swallow it and be done. Or I have a friend that puts it in, like, grape belly and then takes it and just swallows it. But you want to start off with a pencil size eraser, and then you could go up to two, depending on how your body handles it. How, how much of this do I have to take? You can't do, like, a one-shot deal, or do you have to do it over time? No. To, like, completely no. deparasite? Me, personally? I would mm-hmm. I would have you do a pencil eraser for five days and then go up to two pencil size erasers for another five days, which is a total of 10 days and see what happens. Huh? Okay. Yep, that's what I would do. All right. I'll have to think about that. Anyway, we got some news from Marco in the Netherlands. They do put mayonnaise <laughs> on their French fries, uh, but he uses, uh, oh, he, he uses a lot of curry powder with it. I like, well, see, I like curry powder. First of all, it tastes good. Secondly, it's almost all turmeric and turmeric by itself is boring. It's tasteless, but you put in curry powder, you get the benefits of both. You get the taste and you get the turmeric. So, uh, mm-hmm. so I would definitely recommend curry powder and mayonnaise on fries. That's a good one. Malt vinegar works too. Ketchup works as the old standby, but make sure it's thick and organic. And also, <laughs> I think so, something from Pulp Fiction. Have you seen Pulp Fiction? Remember that with uh, oh, a long uh, time John, ago. John Travolta and uh, well, it's been a while, yeah. yeah. And uh, who's the black dude? Uh, Sam, 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 Sam. No, what's his name? You know the guy. He's he's been in a million oh, films. Yeah. Yeah, him. Anyway, see, so Travolta and the other guy. <laughs> no offense to the other guy. I just forgot his name. Um, but anyway, but they talk about a Royale with cheese. <laughs> Those are the French oh, hamburgers. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Or or uh, who who was it? Um, the wild and crazy guy. Samuel Jackson. That's it. Thank you. Marco knows everything. He's great. He, he just looks it up and doesn't tell us. Anyway, but uh, yeah, he says... Uh, uh, He's a, Marco says, I've seen them do it. They drown in that uh, stuff. <laughs> so are we talking about mayonnaise? <laughs> Too much mayonnaise on the fries, Marco? So uh, we used to have a mayonnaise sometimes because this is one of those other products that we really don't need. It's full of soybean oil and all kinds of other horrible stuff. Originally, it was good. You have to be so careful, so, so careful. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy. Have you had Dr. Glyden on your show? No. Um. Well, I've done I've done several podcasts and shows with him, and 
I find it interesting, and this is something that I have not come to my own conclusion yet because, uh-huh. well, almost everything, right, you can find somebody that says one thing and somebody that says another, right, with any topic, right. just pick one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of controversy over oils and what's a good oil, what's a bad oil, and I will tell you, mm-hmm. Dr. Wyden says oils in general, avocado oil, coconut oil, everything, bad. And if you go and listen to some of the old school doctors, Instagram on different things, they say there's many benefits to coconut, avocado, and clean virgin olive oil. Lots of benefits. And some people actually drink olive oil in the morning uh, Mm -hmm. for different health benefits. Along with their apple cider vinegar? Right, exactly. Exactly. Okay, I'm just checking. It's also a matter, though, of how it's processed or not and how it's stored, whether you're getting something in a glass jar versus plastic, and yep. been heat, whether there's been heat applied to it or whether there's not been heat applied to it, whether you have the air at the top of the container, you know, where uh, it's, there's air that's being allowed to get to the oil, or whether you're just taking a fresh coconut and using coconut oil. How many of us do that every single day? Not me, right? Mm. Or you can buy you know, good, clean, refined. I mean, I have a big bath of it, you know, hardened coke. And I'll use that and or ghee butter in my pans, like if I'm stir-frying vegetables, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that. And Dr. Gladden says using ghee butter, butter or lard is actually better than any of the oils because of the way that they are so um, tainted in their processing. Mm-hmm. I still use butter for eggs. I mean, I just, I just throw a bunch of butter in, and uh, you know, if I have to cook something, butter. If I'm making steaks, butter. You know, lots of butter. I don't use oils. Um, but the, ever since I heard that the seed oils were bad, so that's canola. Yeah, um, all those, all those seed oils. Don't get anything with seed. soybeans are particularly bad because of the plant estrogens, and soybeans are all GMO. So you can't have anything with soybean. So if you get rid of the high fructose corn syrup, you get rid of the soy, you get rid of any seed oil. Uh, corn oil, get rid of the, all that stuff. Get rid of yeah. all that stuff. The only yeah. decent ones are that's avocado. Really What's that? Go ahead. No, I said that's a really big step for some people. I mean, if people just take that one step, you know, uh-huh. implementing one step at a time in your, in your wellness journey, that's a really mm-hmm. big deal. Yeah. Well, I've done several things in my journey. Um, I'm just having a note to, to Marco. If you're going to get olive oil, you've got to use extra virgin, which is the first pressing in, in a glass jar. You know, get get the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't get the, you know, and are olives being GMO'd or are they still pretty good? I mean, does it say so on the label? Good question. It will say it on the label, but again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, again, Read the label. make my point. You know, how do we yeah. know, right? We're not taking the olives and squeezing it on ourselves, right? Yeah. And what if they start doing that in yeah, Napa in California? That'd be a good thing. Oil, Do it in wine okay. country. Or, yeah. There's a lot of oils that will say organic, clean, this and that and the other thing. And mm-hmm. they're in plastic plastic containers and plastic jars. And, right. you know, I, I used to be guilty of that myself, mm-hmm. you know. And so you've got to get to a point to where you're educated enough to know, like, the difference. So for me, if I use olive oil, I mm-hmm. use the Bragg's olive oil. Bragg's olive oil, extra virgin, you know, the organic, and it's in a glass bottle. I don't use it that often because a lot of times, like I said, I'll use my coconut oil and I'll use ghee butter. But I do have oil that I use from the Bragg's, just like Bragg's vinegar, 
those are the things mm-hmm. that I I use in my. Okay, house. I'll look I'll look for their their olive oil, yeah, because I used to get uh, some, but yeah, I'm guilty of the plastic thing too, but yeah, get rid of the plastic as much as possible. It's hard to find glass. You know, we have a local honey that comes in glass. In fact, I tried to take the glass bottles back to my uh, grocery store. And uh, so now they don't want them. <laughs> it's, it's cheaper for them just to buy them uh, rather than recycle. But I recycle here. We have we have recycling in, in Milton. Yeah. Okay. What? But there's no good oil, really, uh, except coconut and, and avocado. Like, I've got my avocado mayonnaise at $10 a jar. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I mean, it's good. It's really oh, good. Um, but but, it, know, but it at $10. Good. Which it, did you get the I should primal buy or the Well, I, I tried chosen, but primal tastes better. Mhm, mhm. But a ten a jar, I got to buy a bulk. I got, I got to either wait for it to go on sale, or or just contact them directly and get like a case. <laughs> you know, because jar, I don't use it that often. You know, but what's that? I said, or use it sparingly unless you put mayonnaise on everything. Well, I don't put mayonnaise. I only put a thing on is my my uh, salmon salad. And everything goes in that. I got oh. peppers going in there now too. So, so my oh, salad is, really is, is celery, onions, peppers, uh, garlic, salmon. Uh, what else? I'm gonna get cilantro. I heard cilantro is really good too because it gets rid of all the mercury and lead in your system. So I gotta add cilantro into mm-hmm. it. Um, but it's got uh, the avocado mayonnaise. It's got the the curry turmeric. It's got uh, uh, a couple of other things I toss in there. The organic uh, seasoning and um, the olive oil. Uh, not the olive oil, the, uh, the Bragg's vinegar, and uh, I think there's a couple other things. I'm not sure what else goes in there. It's good, though. Yeah. And, when you're, and when you're buying butter, onions. You, you onions make too. Sure mm-hmm. when you're buying butter, you want to make sure that you buy a grass-fed butter. So when I buy butter, I do Truly. That's a really good brand. It's called Truly. Mm-hmm. So you grass grass-fed as well. So, okay. Um, but, yeah, going back to... Um, were you going to say something? Well, no, I, was, I was just curious. Yeah, that, uh, does well, your I, I forgot to ask you, does your pink Himalayan sea salt have iodine in it? That's funny. That's exactly where we were going to go. <laughs> How about that? Are say, we on the same wavelength or what? Okay, go ahead. Tell me. We are. We are. We are. So, you know, again, when people think about iodine, for some reason they correlate it with salt, right? And because it's a, it's a mineral. All right. The iodine is, is a mineral, just like you know, magnesium and selenium and all that mm-hmm. kind of good good stuff. Those are in the mineral category. I, th- I think mm-hmm. that that's why maybe they they make that um, correlation. Well, well, let's talk about that for a second. Of- I I got a question on that. I'm being asked for the for, for this hour. What exactly do minerals do in your body? Because minerals are rocks. Okay. People don't think of Correct. minerals as rocks. Minerals are rocks. You know, if you've got zinc, that's a rock. You know, if you've got uh, copper, that's a rock. <laughs> you know, we're talking about min- we're talking about you know things that occur in the earth. Magnesium, which regulates your temperature, is a rock. <laughs> okay, so we're eating rocks. All right, so so what, what do these minerals actually do in our body? What what do they allow to happen? Oh wow, that's a whole other podcast. Okay, well we'll just step. do it another time then. Okay, forget that question. <laughs> Simply don't don't they, well, but don't they allow certain things to happen like enzyme reactions and and hormone reactions yeah. and things like that? Aren't they like a catalyst? I mean, what are, what are they for? Yeah, yeah. So if you're talking about sea salt, let's just go with one because there's many different types of salt, right? You've got sea salt, you've got kosher salt, you've got table salt. Those kosher are salt. The oh, we got the rabbi. We got a lot of the yeah. rabbi to make the kosher salt. Okay, fine. You want some kosher salt? We got that. We got we got bagels. We got uh, we got locks. We got all kinds of things. Come on, let's bring the rabbi. We need a rabbi for action radio. So if anybody knows the rabbi, 
send them down to us here, well, especially from Brooklyn. We want the Brooklyn Law Rabbi to, to bless our show. Okay, go ahead. What were you saying? No. So those are the, you know, those are the major. Oh, come on, laugh. That was funny. Ones. Okay, fine. <laughs> You're so serious, CJ. I had my I moment. thought I was laughing the whole time. Okay, good. Blame that for a rabbi. You want food? We got food. What is this? What is this stuff you give me? This isn't food. This is pink Himalayan sea salt. What are you talking about? I don't eat pink salt. Where do you get this pink stuff from? I get it out of here. Right. Bring me a bagel. Oh my. Okay, fine. Bagel. Item. Yeah, a lot of people talk about. Need some new food item. What is this stuff you're serving me here? Okay, fine. <laughs> a lot of people talk about you know when people eat kosher foods, right? And what does mm-hmm. that mean? So let's just again go with the three most what does popular that mean? salts. You've got, you've what got does that sea mean? salt, you've got kosher, and you've got table salt. So uh-huh. you had asked the question about, you know, minerals. Minerals. So let's take right. first sea salt because you started asking about pink Himalayan sea salt. So sea salt is actually from, gotten obviously from an ocean, the ocean or the sea. And it's from pink Himalayans, large, right? Large... Pink Himalayans? Yeah. And no? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. It's not refined. <laughs> I heard what you said. I know. Well, you got, you're supposed to react. This is radio. If you don't say something, I don't know if you heard me. I thought I was funny. <laughs> but it's not, it's not video. Not like you do. It's, not, <laughs> it's different. I know. It's I'm radio. So used to being on video. It's like. <laughs> okay, so I, I can't see, I can't hear your facial expressions, okay? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Great. Maybe I should put you on camera. Okay, fine. Well, I'll work on that. <laughs> so, sea salt. It's not refined, as a lot of other types of salt are. So it okay. contains a lot of trace minerals, like your iron, your magnesium, your calcium, and it does have zinc and iodine. So mm-hmm. sea salt, because of where it's gotten from, mm-hmm. it varies the sea, in, its, right? in its flavor. It actually right. does come from the sea, right? right? Okay. Yes. Large, large, in, yes. Yep. Channeling waters from the ocean or the sea into large trays, raiding naturally in the sun and the wind. So that's how, that's where it comes from. Okay, mm-hmm. so they take it from the ocean. So that's why the sea salt will vary in its in its flavor. Mm. You know, when you are having kind of like re- it, not kind of like the- wine, <laughs> like a Bordeaux in France is different than a Bordeaux in California. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> can you can you tell yeah. the difference in sea salt? If we had a if we had a sea salt tasting, could you tell where it came from? I don't know. I don't think I could tell where it came from, but I know the difference in the taste between the three salts, obviously, and most people do. Sea salt, kosher, and table salt. There's a big difference in flavor, for sure. Well, I don't remember the last time I had kosher salt, but I'll have to try some. I can definitely tell a table from sea. Sea's got character. It's got flavor. It's unrefined. Oh, yeah. It's and good. That's why, yeah. Table salt's boring. That's why I wanted oh, to God, think with, with, with sea salt, and we all right. usually say pink sea salt because that's the, that's the most popular one, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Until it runs out. Is when you, you can buy it already ground or you can buy the rocks, you know, that you put into your grinder. And if you have a headache or something, take one or two of those rocks just underneath your tongue and see if your headache goes away. Nine times out of ten, it will because it's very – because of the minerals that absorb underneath your tongue where your saliva is, mm-hmm. right? Right. Those minerals will get rid of your headache. Most of the time, instead of topping an aspirin or something like that. But you have to use, because it's hard. If you have granulated pink Himalayan sea salt, right, that's already ground up that you bought, you'd you'd have to take like a quarter of a teaspoon and put it underneath. Whereas if you have the rock, 
you know, that you put in a grinder, if you have your own grinder at home, just take out two rocks. You know, remember, remember the uh, pop rocks when we were kids, the candy you put oh, them yeah. in your mouth and they pop and yep. So it's like Give that. They don't pop. Yeah. But put those huh. pink Himalayan sea salt rocks underneath your tongue and let them absorb and minerals. And most of the time, your headache will go away. So that's a, one really good thing for pink Himalayan sea salt without without a doubt. That's why that's what I always try to use first before I go to any pharmaceutical thing. Um, when you when you go with kosher salt, uh-huh. kosher salt, you know, you usually hear for cooking. And it contains fewer additives and it has it's a cleaner taste compared to right. table salt. And usually kosher salt, if you go to say like a Trader Joe's or even sometimes you see these little Gourmet markets. Um, I forget the one we have. I don't know where else it's found. Um, hmm. uh, world market, maybe? I think that's what it's called, a world market. Um, but you go into these little places, and usually kosher salt is a little bit more pricey. Don't ask me why, um, but it just it's Well, it's, it's the rabbi so, charge. You know, the rabbi has to bless it all. So and each grain takes a while to, you know, cover <laughs> them all, right? So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. don't know. It's time to blast yeah. the salt. Ah, be right there. Okay, fine. Yeah, give me a uh, lay it all right. on the table for me. I'll, I'll give it the old kosher treatment, then we could uh, we can get out of here. Got a temple. <laughs> you just my apologies to my today. Jewish listeners. I'm having way too much fun today. <laughs> yeah, I have a Jewish friend in Brooklyn, so this is why I do this. <laughs> so she listens in. So, yeah. That's funny. Oh yeah. Well, but, it's, it's, yeah uh, so nobody's safe. Nobody's safe and, on this show. And, mm-hmm. And then you go to your basic table salt. And honestly, I would hope that there's not too many people out there that use regular table salt because there's right. these other op- options right now. I mean, table salt is the cheapest. It's mass produced. It undergoes a lot of refining. It removes most of the minerals. So, at least so why do they do that? Well, salt, how do you make regular salt? I mean, does that take from sea salt too? Because uh, I know in, in San Francisco, at the bottom end of San Francisco Bay down by San Jose, the Leslie Salt Company uh, has these vast pools where they're evaporating water. You know, and the one thing the Pacific Ocean has is lots of water. And so as it flows into the bay, the tide flows into the bay, it flows into these tidal pools. And then as the low tide goes out, you know, they're left there and then they evaporate and then they collect the salt and the next, you know, next high tide comes in and, right. you know, water and away you go. So they get a lot of salt. Right. <laughs> you know, but that's sea salt because yeah. it comes right from the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. But do they ever, do they take well, yeah, that and they, make table salt out of it, or do they keep it as sea salt? I wonder. I'm not sure now. But you know, huh. when you're talking about your everyday table salt, so like right. I do have table salt here in my house. I have, and one of the most popular brands, right, is Morton's. Well, it has a lot of additives added to it. It does have iodine, and it mm-hmm. actually has, um, it actually has what do they call it? Like uh, anti-caking agents in there. So it doesn't cake together. But now the only thing I use Morton's for, and I keep it high up in my cabinet, and like I said, most of the time we use pink Himalayan sea salt or, or Celtic Celtic salt, which I which I bought. Um, so I have that, and I drink that every morning in like some oh, lemon juice. Sorry, you got to tell me about the Celtic salt. That's the first I've heard of it. Yeah. It sounds grand. Tell me about the Celtic salt. <laughs> Those come from Ireland. Now, where do they mine it from? So you get it from the beaches, the Irish beaches, All right, let's the green beaches of Ireland. Now. The emerald waters around the beautiful isle. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lassie. Tell me all about your, your Irish salt. <laughs> all the salt. All the, you're getting a little bit salty this morning, Greg. 
I'm Bob Biden's sailor, man. I'm salty as I can. Sorry. I'm, I'm, just, I'm on a roll today. But you are. You are. So Morton Salt, the only thing I use Morton Salt for here in my home is I, I use it with warm water. If somebody gets a sore throat or something, we gargle with, gargle with salt water. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I use that one for. Other than that, I don't use it for anything at all. Well, people use it um, for toothpaste, don't they? Do they brush with salt or, or baking soda or some combination of the two? Baking, baking soda is good to brush your teeth with. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know uh, about you, the How do you do that? I'm you just take a box that. of baking soda and stick your toothbrush in and away you go? Or how do you do, how do, you do it? You mix it with water and just make a paste. Okay. Simple Works thing. better than but your, yeah, your Colgate or your Crest or all those things? Pardon me? It works better than your Colgate or Crest or whatever else is on the shelf these days? Oh, yeah. I don't even have any oh. of that in my home. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. I, think, I, I think, might try it. I'll buy I some think, baking soda. Stick my toothbrush in and see what happens. I have, yeah. um, yeah, you, put, you know, the whole, you've heard the old wise tale. And I do think, again, kind of like with my Morton salt, I think I have one generic brand of toothpaste in my house and I keep it away because we don't use it. But you can put mm-hmm. it on a bee sting. Toothpaste is good for a bee sting. Really? So, oh, yeah, I don't know why. It trails out the stinger, but I'm sure other stuff does as well. Who knows? You could put Probably maybe ivermectin on it. Aloe vera. I have no works. idea. Works for everything else yeah. on your skin. Yeah. yeah okay. I know. So I have a big aloe vera huh. plant here on the table. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Mas tequila. Yeah. Where the big ave, uh, agave grows. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I know, I know. But those are the biggest topics today. So, I, I mean, I hope people I mean, check your iodine check your uh-huh. iodine level and see, um, see, you know, where where you are with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense. You know, all these different things. And I, I, I'm sure people feel overwhelmed, too, you know, because your, your lifestyle exhausts me. You know, I listen to uh, all the things that you have to do. <laughs> In the course of your day, I mean, I, I want to watch you for a day, just out of curiosity, all right? This going to be fascinating. And, and I, I'm going to count how many times I say, I ask you, why are you doing that? You know, this would be fascinating. It would be like a study. A day in the life of CJ, okay? And I'll just get my video. We'll just do, you know, of all the things that you do and try and ever, I just, I'll videotape your cabinets because nobody would believe it, you know, of what's there. No, <laughs> fascinating. We, 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 need to do a, we need to do a day with CJ, <laughs> a, here's, yeah. you know, see if you can handle all this nutrition in one day. I mean, it'd be fascinating. <laughs> well, come on, come on. Okay. You're welcome. Oh, I, I intend to do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we're actually talking about this for real, folks. That uh, we're we're going to uh, do either some kind of joint venture or or show or uh, video yeah. or uh, yeah. I think videotaping your cabinets would be a good place to start. <laughs> we're just kind of improvise from there. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll do it. Wow. You can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we're opening opening oh. uh, opening uh, CJ's drawers. Maybe I shouldn't say it that way. Cabinets, cupboards. Ow! That's a, that sounds better. Oh, you need a drum Sorry. roll on that one. Oh yeah, do I have a drum roll? <laughs> hey, wait, I got a drum roll. <laughs> I use it for my guest oh. of the day thing. Uh, but yeah, occasionally that was, I, I, I. That was good. That was, I must say that uh, was a good one. Okay, and now <laughs> CJ's drawers. <laughs> 
Yes. What do you find in CJ's drawers? Well, we have Himalayan sea salt. We have uh, avocado oil. We have uh, all kinds of different things like that. We have uh, bargs, brags, whatever, uh, uh, vinegar, and everything else you can find. This is what we have. And when we open up, we're going to have a new presentation. Action Radio presents CJ's drawers. Yes, the very foods that will keep you healthy and nutritious all throughout your day. So when in doubt, open CJ's drawers and see what you find. Oh, I love it. I love it. I can't believe hey, the things I get I away with. It's scary. Yes, ma'am. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. That was yeah, really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I uh, actually took a class in improv comedy, and uh, I wasn't particularly good at it, but I think I'm getting better now <laughs> because it's, it's different when you have your yeah. own show and just do things. I was like, can I get away with this? Well, let's find out. Okay, so yeah, we'll yeah. Do, we'll do a little joint venture, uh, and we'll see what happens. It could be fascinating, I think. But you're gonna exhaust it was me. It. All this, you're going to make me eat and drink all these weird things. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you, you want to talk about facial expressions? Well, you see mine. I'll be like, you want me to eat what? I want to find out how pink, pink Himalayan sea salt is. Or does it really just come from pink Himalayans? This is, these are the questions I have. These are the burning issues in my mind. Well, you've got to do the research, right? I'm working on it. Let's see what i got for notes here. Uh, we had some other stuff I want to talk about, too. Uh, but the... the how about salt in general? What does salt do in your body? Oh, wow. Well, like I said, salt is a mineral. So we go back to what, what is salt. It's a rock. Okay. You know? So salt is, is, is one part sodium, one part chloride, which gets us back to chlorine, chloride dioxide, which is, dioxide, which is dioxide is oxygen. So you've got two oxygen atoms on a chlorine atom. That would be chlorine dioxide. Uh, sodium mm-hmm. chloride, NaCl, or NACL, for those of us in high school who are amusing ourselves, is a sodium atom and a chlorine atom stuck together. That's what sodium chloride is. It's salt. When it goes in water, it splits into a sodium atom and a chlorine atom. Mm-hmm. So that's why... Well, it here's, was, here's, that's the, here's, uh-huh. here's a good guide. I mean, and this is just... And I have the guide here in front of me, and I can just read it to you because we talked about a lot of this. You've got the table okay. salt, which is the key which is the cheapest and it's the most processed and stripped of its trace minerals. So it basically right. has nothing in it. Like I said, they add iodine. <laughs> it has and no add, nutritional um, value whatsoever. <laughs> it's just there. Right, right. To make but things they taste add healthy. iodine and um, coagulating agents to it. And that's why, like I said, for gargling for a sore throat, it's good. In my, opi- my opinion, that's what we use only for that. You've got your sea salt, which contains okay. trace min- minerals and has larger crystals. Right, and then you've got right. your Celtic, Celtic salt, which is grayish in color, and it retains the ocean's moisture. It's harvested in the in the Britain region from the Celtic, Celtic Sea. Then you've got um, your Himalayan pink sea, pink salt, which mm-hmm. is packed with trace minerals. Crystals are hard and they're dry, and they've got a really sharp, potent flavor, which is my favorite. You've got mm-hmm. your kosher salt which kosher salt is iodine-free, and it's very minimally processed, it's very coarse, and that's why it's used for cooking and curing meats and all that sort of stuff. Um, okay. You've got, you've got flaked salt, F-L-A-K-E-D, flaked salt, which is soft, those are like a pyramid, uh-huh. and they dissolve really, really quickly, and you'll see that a lot with on a finishing salt. Like if somebody puts it on seafood or something like that in a, in a restaurant, a lot of flaked salt, is used on freshly cooked seafood and things like that. So now one that I am not familiar with and uh, is Hawaiian salt. Have you ever heard of Hawaiian huh. salt? 
No. But, I mean, we've got Hawaiian coffee, so why not? It's very coarse. It's unrefined with a distinct pink-brown color. And it's from the native volcanic red clay. That's, That's where the pink the color, color comes from. Yeah. Well, here's this interesting too. The Himalayan salt comes from, you know, uh, salt that was in water millions of years ago when the, when the Himalayas were underwater. You know, they only came up because India crashed into Asia. And that's what created the Himalayas. So we're talking about salt that is so old. This is millions of year old salt. I don't know. Have you, have you ever gotten the age of your Himalayan salt? No. It's probably millions of years old. Because if it came from oh. an ocean when the Himalayas were underwater, that was millions of years ago before India whacked right. into Asia. You know, and, and so uh, and the Himalayans are still rising, by the way. I mean, the, the Mount Everest is getting taller. <laughs> Not by a lot, right. but it's, 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 it's still getting taller. And so uh, be interesting, the records will be smashed. Yes, it's now a millimeter higher than it was 50 years ago when Sir Evan Hillary climbed Mount Everest. Why? Because it was there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Hillary Clinton is not named for Sir Evan Hillary. You know, uh, she was born a couple of years before him or something like that, or however it works. Anyway. Or before he was known. That's uh-huh. another story. But this is old salt. So what I'm thinking is if salt comes from the ocean and it's locked in rock, rock is minerals. So is the concentration right. of minerals higher in sea salt that is locked in rock and spends millions of years there, you know, especially under the compression that created the Himalayas? Does that Good make question. sense? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but salt is a very interesting thing. And like I said, I wasn't really familiar with the Hawaiian sauce. Most of the other ones, you know, pretty mm-hmm. familiar with, you know, and mm-hmm. somewhat familiar with the one that they use, you know, in, in restaurants, the, the flake salt. That's an right. interesting one as well. Um, well, let's, but, let's think about something. I'm sorry, let me just jump in here for a second. Because if, if salt in water breaks uh, the atoms, uh, so salt breaks in water, dissolves. So your salt, when you see it dissolve, it dissolves into sodium and chloride. So you have a chlorine atom and you have a sodium atom whipping around there in your, in your water. And it's a catalyst that makes reactions happen. It makes things cook better. Water boils faster with salt in it. So salt creates reactions. We know that from high school chemistry. So your body is mostly water. So when you add salt to your body, does it have the same reaction as adding salt to make water boil faster? Does it create reactions in your body when the sodium and the chlorine atoms split when they encounter the water in your body? Like in your bloodstream, for example, which is mostly salt water. That's how they can do saline solutions. Uh, and you're okay because it is sodium and chlorine that have split, dissolved in water, injected directly into your veins if you need fluid. Yeah. There was a question in there somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> I was trying to get a look okay, the question is... <laughs> There is a question in there somewhere. Now, my question is, does salt in your body do what it does when it dissolves in water? Does it create reactions? And does it speed things up? Well, and is I, salt a necessary uh, ingredient to making your body function? And the educated answer would be yes, because salt is minerals. Your body needs the minerals. Okay. So if your body needs minerals to, for reactions and you need salt, um, there's, there's also too much salt and too little salt. So if you have too little salt, you know, your body's going to, I guess, cut back on your, on your water intake so that the salt concentration is balanced. If you have too much salt, your body's going to retain water because it wants to balance the salt. So there is a, there is a balance point of the salt in your body, right? There's a lot of misconceptions about, there's a lot of misconceptions about salt. Um, well, how about salt sure. and blood pressure, which is probably what, what I'm getting to, ultimately. Right, 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 right. And that's, that's 
a misconception. Okay, that tell me. That is a total misconception about that. Well, that, that could be a, another podcast issue, but a lot of things that I say with salt Give me the preview. Is, Give me the preview version. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got five minutes. <laughs> oh, you're crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. You're just um, realizing that now? Okay, I'm not, I'm not. Okay. Not. But so that's just one of the lies that we've been told okay. amongst many others. Uh, and yeah, that's a good one to research. But I always tell. So here's the thing. So in my in the other thing that I do. So a lot of my clients, you know, and into the fitness world and all that, drinking warm salt water before working out or lifting is very beneficial. It 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 doesn't do everything that a pre-workout does, but it does mm-hmm. increase your energy levels by allowing your body to access its energy reserves better. It helps to improve blood flow before you take, you know, before you're working out. So your workout can be longer, okay? And it also replaces what your body will lose in its, in its sweat. So it really does help with gains as far as, right before you work out. So I always tell my clients, you know, because the majority of them do work out, not all of them, but the majority, and they want to uh-huh. take a pre-workout. I'm all for taking pre-workout stuff. What's a pre-workout? Um, oh, pre-workout is the like, stuff you take before. Go it ahead. It helps your muscle gain, gain growth, you know. Oh, it helps stimulate okay. your muscles. But taking, taking warm salt water, you know, half a cup of warm salt water before you work out, will really benefit you. I mean, you could even try this for, for a week. It'll just it'll help with your blood flow, help with how long you can keep, keep going. It will help replace your, your sodium that you're going to lose if, you, if you're breaking a sweat. Increases blood volume, blood flow. So it's really good. It's really good huh. to do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, but it's interesting but all the things that, uh, that you know, me, I'm, I'm so simple. I, when I go work out, I just, you know, drive. It's funny, I drive because it's usually too hot or dark or night and I can't bike ride. Sometimes a bike ride, it's not too hot. But a lot of times, drive to the gym and just start doing the, uh, the elliptical for like 15, 20 minutes to get warmed up and then hit the machines. I don't pre-workout. I don't think about it. It's not a strategy. I don't meditate. I don't face Mecca. I don't, you know, douse myself in, in weird oils or look at crystals. I mean, I just go. I'm so right. simple about this bike ride. Do I warm up for a bike ride and stretch and do yoga and, uh, you know, chant for a while? No, I hop on my bike and start pedaling. <laughs> really simple. Right. Re- really basic guy. So I wonder, like I say, whereas I'm wondering where the balance point is. I'm probably doing too little. You might be doing too much. Who knows? Um, it works, whatever works. Well, you works. know, a lot of the stuff that I talk about, uh-huh. I don't do everything every single day. Oh, my gosh, I wouldn't get out of my kitchen and I'd be on the toilet all day. You know, so it's like... <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Well, Appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> you, hey, you opened up CJ's drawers, so hey, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> did you actually just say that? You did. You said that. You, you, you did. You said you, it. <laughs> oh, you're bad. You're terrible. Uh, this is why I love having you on the show. We're so open here. Yeah. <laughs> but, We're open. you know, yeah. like, like, like this morning I had fresh lemon juice. But I have okay. it almost almost every morning with a pinch or two of the Celtic sea salt in it, you know. And then a little bit later, I drink my apple cider vinegar. And a little bit, half an hour later, then I make my coffee because I do have. We had that conversation a while ago. I do make my clean coffee in the morning. I have one cup, 
Sometimes okay. I drink the whole cup. Sometimes I drink three-fourths. So you have to pick and choose. But, you know, going back to where we started with the iodine and the salt, it's good to say you learn this piece of information. Go test your iodine. Go grab right. some at Walgreens, CVS, wherever, you know, for curiosity's sake, you know, and, and just start implementing one thing at a time. And, you know, you brought up the seed oils. If a person mm-hmm. only does one thing and goes through all their cabinets with a trash bag and gets rid of every item that has a seed oil and or high fruit corn toast syrup in it, but any sort of sunflower oil, any oil, any oil, you know, and gets rid of it, right. that, that's a big step. It's like the other day. It was funny. I have to tell you this before we um, no, it's okay. wrap we up. Run over a little bit. Yeah. We have a we have a wedding we're going to on Saturday, and my daughter has a pedicure at eleven fifteen. So I need to take her to her pedicure <laughs> before <laughs> the wedding. Important. What time is the wedding? She's like, Mom, Mom, he, Mom, we gotta go. And I'm like, Okay, I have a couple more minutes, Brianna. So um, yeah, she scheduled her eleven fifteen pedicure appointment today. So and she's what, paying what for time's, it. Oh, so, so the wedding isn't today. You don't have to pedicure in the wedding no, on the Saturday. Same day. Okay, good, fine. No, we'll make sure. Saturday. We're not um, multitasking. All right. No, no, we're not. <laughs> but, you know, so my daughter had um, one of her really good friends over here the other day, and they right. wanted to make a, a, a pasta dinner with um, some meat and stuff in it, and pasta's a whole other story. I only buy certain things. And I was like, okay, go ahead. Of course. I had ran out of tomato, tomato sauce, and I usually buy primal tomato sauce, or I get, um, I want to say it's, I can't even remember the name, but I usually buy it in three or four glass glass jars. I'll have to get the name of it. But anyway, okay. I had none of the none of the tomato tomato sauce, pasta sauce. So I ran to the store and I was just like, I'm just gonna grab whatever right now because they needed it like right now. And anyway, I shouldn't have done it, but I did it on purpose. I grabbed the cheapest thing that I could find and I brought it home and used it as an educational moment because I never do this. And I told my daughter, this will never be in my house again. And I said, but I'm <laughs> teaching you. Look, look, right. look at the label, you know, mm. and it had like high fruit corn toast syrup and it had like, it was just a can probably of hunts or something, but it was a, it wasn't a glass jar either. It was actually a can of tomato. It said tomato sauce basically. So I don't know if it was really a pasta sauce. But I said, add some oregano, add some whatever. And they only used half of it, and it was less than $2. And so after they were done using the rest, I threw it out. Like, I'm not using that. So mm. you've got to look for those oils because lots of condiments, lots of things have those hidden sunflower, sunflower, all the things, you know, in there, vegetable oils. And so if you take one thing away from yeah, corn oil, so today. Do that. Canola, soybean oil, exactly. all those different oils are terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, how about cans? We should talk about cans next time, too, because cans aren't as bad as, as plastic bottles, right? Plastic jars? They're the lesser of the evils, I guess you could say. Because we've been using cans since the 1800s. Right. Just but curious. Then you talk about the metal and the this and the that. I mean, right. I mean, bottom line, glass is always better. But, you know, I've broken yeah. glass jars in my house. You know, because I mm. buy the mason jars and I put my, I store, like I just clean some organic Bing cherries with my baking mm-hmm. soda and vinegar and clean them. And I store a lot of my fruit now in mason jars. And one day I dropped a mason jar on the ground, you know, and it was like, so you got to be careful with glass. It's, it's not practical, but it's a better way to keep certain things. And when you're buying certain things, it's definitely, definitely glass. 
Well, I have stainless steel for my, my water container because it, it doesn't get bacteria in it. But uh, you could use – do they make stainless steel cans or are they just steel or aluminum? I guess they're that, aluminum cans. Yeah, that I don't know. And, like, my Plus water they, bottles, they're all metal. I have metal, yeah. you know, metal, yeah. metal ones. We'll have to look into uh, into cans and metal because I heard metal uh, doesn't uh, do good things to honey uh, enzymes. We'll talk about that too. We're done, so we'll have another edition of What's in CJ's Drawers next week at this time. Sorry. Well, oh boy, we got we got plethora of, of topics. Yeah, but yeah, I hope everybody has a great day. If anybody wants to reach me, you can reach me at H two O Wellness Network at Gmail dot com. Feel free to send me any questions, comments, whatever, and have a great day, and I will talk with you later. Sounds good. Thank you, CJ. Oh, email, anything else like that? Um, Video productions, anything you're doing, anything you want to talk about? Um, If you want to find me on Rumble, um, I do have a show on Rumble. In fact, we'll be doing one tonight. The the topics, kind of like Action Radio, are a wide variety, wide variety. So tonight, you can find us on Rumble at the Angel Warrior Network. That's the Angel Warrior Network. And today, since it's Thursday, we have a Thankful Thirsty Thursday podcast. So you never know what's going to come your way. And I do have a special guest on tonight as well. Yep. Then you can see CJ in visual as opposed to the audio. So you will get her facial expressions at that particular time. Yeah. I should be on again. (laughs) Yeah. I should be on again yes. so I can make you laugh, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I will be having you on again. I will absolutely. We'll be doing some constitutional stuff, so that'll be awesome. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, All have right. a blessed day. You too. Thank you, Bye. CJ. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Take care. There we go. Uh, this has been a crazy day. Uh, like I say, yesterday was amazing in terms of our interview uh, with Christina Bob. Today I totally screwed up, but it's okay because I'm going to fix it tomorrow. You know, life goes on. That's how we do things here. Played everything I need to play, so the only thing left to do is our classical music selection for today, and then I'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time when we shall do it all um, again. Oh, actually, let me play my uh, – I'll play this and I'll play uh, – our, our, our information. So here's our classical selection and then back to our information one more time and we'll see you all tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central.
Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call-in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.